This is Radio Orbit, exploring the secrets of everything on KOPN 89.5 FM, Columbia. there. Good morning. Good day to you, wherever you might be as you're listening to this program. This is Mike Hagan, and you're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN Columbia, 89.5 FM, mid-Missouri source for in-depth news, diverse talk, and music of the world. It's more than radio. It's your listener-sponsored community radio, KOPN Columbia, and uh, lots of other areas around mid-Missouri. This is Mike. It's Monday night, uh, 11 to 2 Every Monday we do Radio Orbit for three hours. I'll be with you for the next three. And I've got sort of a fun show tonight. Not really even sure what to expect uh, from my guest tonight, but we'll talk about that in a few minutes here. Um, 
I want to say a couple of quick thank yous uh, to Debbie Johnson. Great show again uh, tonight with Free Range Radio Theater. I kind of missed Aurora uh, since it finished up a week or two ago, but uh, uh, this this old radio theater stuff is really cool, too. So if you were listening to Debbie's show and you're sticking around, thanks, and I hope you enjoyed this program as well. Thanks uh, for the nice emails and to everybody that's been listening over the web to the program ex post facto after it's been completed and uploaded up there. And uh, I'll continue to do that as long as, uh, as, long as I can because I know there are a lot of you out there that like to listen to it uh, even though you're not here in the, in the local listening area. All right, another quick thank you to my friends Ron and Alicia. We had a nice uh, time at their barbecue last night and uh, uh, it was a really, uh, really cool afternoon. The Sweet and Lowdowns uh, showed up and played some music, and uh, everybody had a real nice time. So anyway, if you guys are out there listening, uh, thanks a lot. We all, we all had a real great time. So, All right, tonight my guest is Shu, Ed Edwards, my friend from the hills of North Georgia. And uh, Hugh is really difficult to describe, but the bottom line is uh, he feels that he has the ability to work with Subtle energies and gravity waves and uh, oh, I don't. He talks about all these interesting things, and so uh, I'm not going to put words into his mouth. We'll we'll talk to Shu in about 45 minutes here. But bottom line is uh, he has requested that we open the phone lines up, and he wants to get as many people to call in as possible tonight, so we can chat with you and uh, try some of these experiments uh, over the phone lines and over the radio. Of course, uh, Shu's up in northern Georgia, like I said, and. He basically claims that he can uh, um, basically just manipulate energy across time and space uh, so that us people here in Colombia or wherever else you might be calling from can actually experience uh, some of what he does tonight. And he claims it will be no problem. So, uh, so we need you all in order to either uh, validate or invalidate the uh, claims of Mr. Edwards. So, all right, uh, with that in mind, write this down right now. The phone number, area code 573-443-8255. That's 443-TALK. So uh, at the top of the uh, hour, I don't know, we'll probably do a little introductory stuff and talk to Shu and let him uh, explain some of the the background and the details of the stuff that he's going to uh, try to show us tonight. But uh, when we do open the phones, I'll make that obvious, and uh, when you do... Uh, want to call in the number will be uh, again 573-443-8255 if you want to test out uh, uh, shoes abilities here all right so that's all coming up in about uh, 45 minutes 50 minutes or so um, we'll do space weather in just a little while here uh, what did I want to talk to you guys about uh, some stuff that's coming up actually next week I think we're going to do open lines next week we haven't done that for a while not since May and uh, there have been too many other things going on. We've had the schedule filled with guests, but finally have a week here where I didn't schedule anybody to, co- uh, to come on the air with me. So we'll do open lines next week and uh, see what's on you guys' mind. And we'll talk about whatever it is that you like. The following week after that, of course, is, um, and that's uh, July 4th next weekend, so I don't know, we'll do sort of an independence uh, show or something like that. The following week, Jay Widener. Uh, a friend of mine from Seattle, Washington, and Jay uh, has written a number of books, and he's uh, published all over the web, uh, but his actual printed books, uh, the most amazing one that I've read is called A Monument to the End of Time, 
And uh, Jay's very interested in uh, ancient history and alchemy and uh, Gnosticism. And he's done an amazing amount of research into this stuff and ties it together with a monument that's in a very sort of obscure little town in the southwestern part of France. And it's called Andai. And uh, in the little town of Andai, there's a monument there. There's a cross. And uh, it's called the Cyclic Cross of Andai. And it turns out to be quite significant, uh, both historically and perhaps for our uh, collective futures. So uh, we'll talk to Jay Widener about the adventure that he went on as he learned about the secrets uh, tied into the Cyclic Cross at Andai. So that's coming up on the 11th of July. The 18th, we're going to talk to Michael Horn. And Michael Horn is an expert on the Billy Meyer uh, UFO uh, saga that's been going on now for 30-some years. And uh, Michael Horn is sort of the North American spokesperson for Billy Meyer. And again, we'll have to clarify some of these things with, uh, with him when we get him on the air. But he's a pretty sharp guy. I've spoken to him on the phone a few times. And I'm interested to hear what he has to say about the Billy Meyer story because uh, for those of you who are interested in UFOs and for those of you who aren't, the Billy Meyer story is just this classic UFO story that, that, that over many, many years has refused to go away. And uh, there are uh, some startling new uh, pieces to this whole puzzle that Michael Horn is going to talk with us about in a few weeks. So that'll be a fun show. And, again, it's one that we sort of, uh, by default, you've got to do a show on Billy Meyer if you're going to be talking about UFOs. So that's coming up in uh, in just a few weeks. And then the week after that, and I won't go uh, I won't go further out into the schedule too much after this, but the week after that is July 25th, and that's the one-year anniversary of Radio Orbit. So we're going to have a big old party up here at the station. And all of my listeners, you guys are welcome to come down here. Um, we're going to have some live music. We'll probably just open up the microphones and let everybody say hi and... Uh, I just sort of do it up, play a lot of music, and probably won't have a whole lot planned as far as guests or anything like that, but we're going to have a real good time, and I want to have a chance to meet some of the folks out there who are listening to the program. And there will also be a bunch of my friends here from the station, hopefully, and uh, like I say, lots of live music, and there's always interesting things going on when you get all these folks together. So uh, uh, so that's coming up uh, basically four weeks from tonight on July 25th. So write that on your calendar if you're up for a late-night Monday party. Uh, it'll be happening down here at the station on July 25th, Monday night. And like I say, I'd like to invite all the listeners out there uh, to come down if you'd like to, because I'd like to meet you guys in, uh, in in the flesh, okay? All right, uh, Nick Cook. Of course, Nick Cook was on the show um, not long ago, in January, actually. He's going to be on the show again in August when we tie that date down. Uh, Alex Gray and his wife, Allison Gray, talking about art and the psychedelic experience. Uh, lots of really cool stuff coming up. So... Keep uh, tuning in, all right? The email address here is orbitradio at aol.com, O-R-B-I-T-R-A-D-I-O at aol.com. That's orbitradio at aol.com. And uh, the website, you can always reach me at www.radioorbit.com, R-A-D-I-O-R-B-I-T.com, just one O in the middle of the word there, okay? And as I said, the phone number here, uh, if you're interested in calling in and talking to Ed Edwards tonight, talking to Shu, the number is area code 573-443-8255. That's 443-8255. And if you have uh, anything you need to share with me uh, and you don't want to be on the air, you can give me a call during breaks. Uh, 
at uh, area code 573-874-5676 or 1-800-895-5676. That's 1-800-895-KOPN. All right. Okay, this is Mike. Uh, you're listening to Radio Orbit, KOPN Columbia. And it's about uh, 12 minutes after the, uh, the top of the hour here on 11. We're going to take a quick break here, play a little music, come back. We'll do space weather. i got a few stories to talk about. And then we'll get uh, Ed Edwards, the shoe man, Fu Man shoe, on the, uh, on the line here with us in just a little while. All right, back in just a few minutes. This is Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit. And uh, what else have we got for you here? This is Tea Leaf Green with a song called The Rapture. We'll be back in just a few minutes.
of a vision for community radio. The New Wave Corporation must make important decisions about the future of KOPN. Input from brainstorming and focus groups has been gathered. Five task forces have been formed to study the critical areas identified, and priorities for the New Wave Corporation and KOPN for the next three years will be recommended to the Board of Directors in September. We need dedicated KOPN members to join one or more of the task forces on volunteer and staff resources, outreach and development, facilities and equipment, programming issues, and fundraising. Call KOPN at 573-874-1139 to learn more and to let us know your interest in working on these task forces. That's 874-1139 or email us at mail at kopn.org. All right, this is Mike Hagan and you're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN. We heard... Uh, Tea Leaf Green just a few minutes ago with a song called The Rapture and I checked those guys out at Mojo's just a couple of weeks ago they opened up for Railroad Earth and it was a great uh, surprise really talented uh, trio from the San Francisco area Tea Leaf Green check them out if you uh, if you get a chance alright alright this is Mike and you're listening to Radio Orbit let's do space weather here real fast um, pretty mellow uh, on the sun for the last week or so and today in fact I went to the Soho satellites to take a look myself and uh, actually it was sort of strange that there were so few sunspots on the front side of the sun today I, I literally uh, could count them on one hand just a couple very small sunspots but for the most part the surface uh, area of the sun that faces us that we get to look at with these fancy uh, satellites that fly around up there was very very clear I haven't seen that like uh, haven't seen it like that for a long, long time. There is sort of a big coronal hole up on um, the western limb, uh, but uh, without uh, without some assistance, uh, I don't think that that's going to cause any sort of a problem. Uh, so anyway, the sun is just uh, shining and shining hot. Obviously, been pretty warm here in mid Missouri and uh, all around the Midwest. Actually, if you guys listened into the show last week, you heard Scott Stevens and I talking about weather and weather manipulation and some of the things that are going on in the skies above our heads and that's always an interesting conversation to have but uh, uh, speaking of things that are going on above our heads there is uh, 
a real interesting convergence happening in the sky. And in fact, tonight was sort of the highlight of it. It started, um, well, uh, all these things are cyclical, but it really got sort of interesting uh, on Saturday evening, on the 25th. Uh, if you looked out to the west, uh, right to around the time of dusk as the sun is setting, you'd see Venus uh, first, and it was a very bright uh, point of light that's not very far above the horizon. And um, as the sky gets darker, um, Saturn and Mercury both sort of come into view or came into view. This was on Saturday. Now, this, of course, happened again last night and then again tonight. Uh, tonight, uh, on Monday evening, just a, just a few hours ago, um, was probably the best of all of the last few days of viewing uh, this uh, convergence of, of Venus and Mercury. Uh, Saturn was nearby up uh, to the northwest, but uh, Venus and Mer Mercury uh, t tonight came within... Oh, about a tenth of a degree or so apart, uh, if you, the way you measure things uh, astronomically. But a tenth of a degree from our vantage point is they're virtually on top of one another. And uh, they pairings like this uh, of real bright bright planets, both Venus and Mercury, are both very bright planets. To have have them uh, come together like that is very rare. And it's really sort of spellbinding if you watch it. Uh, anyway, it was really cool tonight. The um, Mercury, of course, is the closest planet to the sun. It orbits nearer the sun than any of the other planets out here. Venus, uh, but of course it's not the hottest, interestingly enough. Uh, Venus supposedly is hotter than Mercury, uh, even though Mercury is closer to the sun. Venus surface temperature is supposed to be something like 880 degrees uh, Fahrenheit, um, which is hot enough to melt precious metals and gold and lead and things like that. Uh, uh, it has See, Venus has this very thick atmosphere, and we think that uh, it's carbon dioxide primarily and uh, all kinds of other different uh, uh, different elements and, and gases in the atmosphere there, but it, uh, regardless, the atmosphere of Venus traps heat, and it's not, uh, uh, theoretically at least, not at all unlike global global warming that we talk about here, how the atmosphere, because of the excess carbon dioxide, it doesn't allow heat to escape. Well, on Venus, it's sort of a runaway greenhouse effect, and uh, um, it is very, very warm on the surface of that planet. Uh, and it's also one of the reasons why uh, the atmosphere of Venus is al also one of the reasons why it's so bright. Uh, Venus, of course, in the sky, when we see it, uh, either as the morning star or in the evening, usually just after dusk, like we're seeing it right now, is the brightest star in the sky, even though it's a planet, it appears as a star. But, uh, and many people mistake it for a star and say, what's that bright star? But it's usually Venus, uh, and it is tremendously bright. Uh, and again, one of the reasons is that the, the, the atmosphere of Venus, uh, the clouds, are really strong reflectors of light. And uh, unlike the Earth... Uh, the clouds on Venus are made of different compounds uh, than than the compounds that make up the, the 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 clouds on our planet, and they sit way up high on top of this atmosphere, and uh, uh, they uh, do a great job of reflecting the sun. All right. So anyway, so if you're into that uh, sort of stuff, uh, star watching and stargazing, you'll have another opportunity tomorrow night. It won't be quite as uh, uh, astounding as it was tonight, but right around. Sunset time, go to peek out to the west, and uh, just above the horizon, you'll see 
Venus, then you'll see Mercury and Saturn pop out, and uh, Venus and Mercury will be re very close to one another, and then Saturn will be up uh, a little bit above and to the left uh, of those two, and they'll all appear to be three very bright stars uh, just after uh, just after the sun sets tomorrow night. All right? Okay, uh, let's see. We talked about the sun, and there's not a whole lot to talk about there. Talked about the... Venus and Mercury and this convergence that's going on in the sky right now. And, you know, these things are always, uh, they, they're, they're uh, portents of uh, new times and information and all these sorts of things. You know, the ancients looked at these uh, movements of the heavens with great anticipation. And every time there was something astounding that went on in the heavens, there was a corresponding astounding event that typically happened on Earth. This idea of so above, so below, or as above, so below. We see it in lots of our mythology, even in Christian mythology. If you know the, the prayer, the Our Father, there's a particular line in that prayer that says, on earth as it is in heaven. And this is a, a metaphor for the same thing, but uh, certainly uh, the stars and the planets, whether you believe that they have a direct effect on life here on earth, as in an astrological effect where they actually have a physical effect on you and your character and your being and your personality and all those sorts of things. Even if you don't buy into that, uh, certainly uh, the stars and the planets have been the source of great storytelling uh, for basically the entire history of our, of our species. And they've played a tremendous role in the forming of our ideas and our mythologies and... Uh, uh, some of these archetypal foundations that the human animal is built upon. Uh, so it's fun to watch that stuff, and it really does have sort of a deep historical and uh, uh, significant feeling that, uh, that can rise up in all of us when we go outside at night in a quiet area with a real good opportunity to look at the stars. There's nothing like it. It'll take you away. So if you get an opportunity to do it, do it, okay? All right, uh, potentially hazardous asteroids, nothing uh, that we know about uh, on the radar right now. A couple of days ago, I just did a search on the web, and sometimes I'll just do that. I'll just go in into Google or one of these other search engines, and I'll just put in uh, asteroid or meteor, and then check the news stories and just see what pops up. And you'll usually see news stories from around the world uh, with people reporting uh, funky objects uh, entering the atmosphere and crashing through a barn in Sri Lanka or through you know, uh, an apartment uh, roof in Leningrad or you never know but there's all these stories all the time and uh, every week you see them and I always go look at them and I found a couple the other day of uh, some bolides they always have, they, they have all these different names for them as well asteroids meteors meteoroids bolides comets anyway bottom line is they're all rocks that are flying around in the sky and sometimes they fly a little bit too close to our planet, and they get drawn in to the gravity well of Earth, and then they come uh, come down to see us. And sometimes they burn up in the atmosphere and explode. Sometimes they just fizzle out. And other times they actually make it all the way through and make an impact with the surface of the planet. Now, sometimes that's very uh, uh, insignificant, like uh, some of these ones that I read about the other day. They're no bigger than your fist 
course, when they started, uh, when they entered the atmosphere, they were probably quite a bit bigger than your fists, but uh, a significant portion of them burn away as they're coming through the atmosphere. And, of course, there have been times in our history where really, really big rocks have made it all the way through. And uh, that's what uh, potentially hazardous asteroids are really all about when we talk about those things. We're looking uh, to talk about rocks that could cause significant damage if they actually did impact the Earth. And there's a team of scientists, very poorly funded team, I might add, but uh, they uh, uh, are out there every day and every night just sort of scouting the heavens trying to pick out uh, any of these cosmic interlopers that might uh, sometime in the future have a, um, a crossing or an encounter with the orbit of our planet. And if those orbits match up, well, then you do have an impact. And we uh, don't anticipate any of those things, of course. Nobody ever even thinks about these things. Uh, but the simple fact is, is that the universe and the galaxy and our solar system is a very dynamic they're very dynamic systems and if you saw all the things that were flying around out there and we had a real idea of what it was like it would be more we have this idea that space is empty but it's not it's really full and uh it's just these vast distances and uh precise timings that are required for any of these things to actually occur uh, that, that that we just assume that they never do. But if we look at deep time, if we look at geologic time, we find that the Earth is, uh, the history is littered, or peppered maybe I should say is a better word, with uh, uh, evidence of asteroidal and cometary impacts that have uh, at some time, uh, at some times in the past caused great upheaval on this planet and really shaken things up. And there have been times when very few, uh, very few living creatures even made it through. This thing that happened uh, 65 million years ago or so, nothing bigger than a chicken walked away from that then. All right? So when we look at uh, time like this, uh, it's, sort of it's sort of comforting to, to be able to look at deep time and say, wow, you know, we're a part of this really long thing and it's been millions and millions of years. But deep time also shows you that you might not have as much time as you think because these things do happen, and they are unexpected. And it will be uh, a rock that nobody knows about uh, that causes trouble the next time that trouble comes uh, in that form. And so I always kind of think it's funny about the ones that we know about. The ones that we know about are... As soon as you know about them, they're virtually of no interest uh, other than to continue tracking them. Because the other thing that happens is you have sort of a pinball situation going on up there. And if one body impacts another body, well, a couple of things can happen. It can change the course of that particular body's, both of those bodies, their orbits will change. And uh, if the orbits change, well, now you have a whole other situation. What does this new orbit mean to us? Is this potentially a dangerous orbit? Or is it not a dangerous orbit? And uh, you have to look at that. Uh, you have to look at these things pretty much in real time. The other thing that can happen is if uh, you have collisions up there, you can break uh, break these things apart. Uh, a large asteroid can be 
broken up into smaller asteroids when it impacts another asteroid. And then you have five or six or seven or who knows how many different ones that are now all on their own separate trajectories and their own separate orbits. And so, quite frankly, if you really propagate these ideas and start to think about it, uh, the the difficulty becomes really obvious in trying to in, in, in trying to uh, trying to see the future with these sorts of things because, like I say earlier, it is such a dynamic situation that just because uh, something appeared stable and in a particular orbit today doesn't mean that something may not happen tonight uh, that may knock that thing silly and into a completely other uh, a completely different orbit and no one will know about it until the next time one of these uh, scientists or, or or an amateur or whoever who likes to track these sorts of things goes up and looks for that particular rock when it's supposed to be at a certain position and then sees that it's not there and when it's not there then they say hmm hmm it's not there something must have happened must have had some sort of a adventure of its own and so all these things are happening over our heads all the time and it really is a wild and crazy solar system and galaxy and universe that we live in and it changes all the time just like we do and uh, it's also fun to watch it though too so that's what we do here on orbit and we'll do a little bit more of it in just a few minutes we'll take a break here we'll come back i'm going to get uh probably put on a couple songs here just to make sure i can get the phones work out uh, worked out but i'll get Ed Edwards, my guest on the phone here in just a minute, and then we'll come back and uh, do a couple stories and then talk with him for the rest of the show, okay? All right, in the meantime, uh, stick around. Here's some music. This is Aqualung from Strange and Beautiful. It's called Nothing Like the Sun. Ain't it the truth? This is Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN. Back in just a few minutes with Ed Edwards.
Hip KOPN Radio Orbit. In Peru, the, the indigenous people use the ayahuasca to discover the uses of plants by actually adding in certain plants into the beverage. It's, it's a it's a huge and vast and profound science. But ethnobotany, one of the reasons why ethnobotany is important for these times is, is well, it has many many different realities. But more particularly in situ amongst indigenous people them, themselves, is ethnobotany extremely important. And for different reasons, and it's something that I kind of come to call the new ethnobody. Right, right. It's not in the sense that it's kind of a new focus that ethnobotanists are taking now and seeing as, as an important focus is that, well, it's, you know, the, the, not only just the study of the relationship between people and plants, but also the seeking of methods of, to help indigenous and country folk people maintain their plant lore for several reasons. One of them, and I've discovered this in Ecuador and, and proven this for myself, is that when indigenous people when they maintain the consciences, they maintain um, the, the knowledge of the forest and the knowledge of the medicinal plants, they always set aside a forest reserve in the community and have much more consciousness about the way they treat the forest and usually the land use ethics are, are more sustainable. Whereas other indigenous communities that, were the, that have lost and have been more you know, culturalized, lost their, their traditional knowledge of the use of plants, they're much more prone to practicing unsustainable Indian methods, right, right. such as basically selling off the timber. They want roads, cattle ranching. And so another more practical reason as well is 
you know, most people can't afford medicine. You're also basically, you know, what, what we call maybe, I don't know what you'd call it, Western medicine or, right. or basically pharmaceuticals, right, right, <clears throat> pharmaceutical right. medicine. Doesn't, you know, more and more we're realizing it doesn't really work. I mean, it works for certain things and definitely has its place. But, you know, as a preventative medicine or as a form of truly accomplishing total health, it doesn't work. I agree, I agree. And it can help people in certain times of crisis, without a doubt. So people living way out in the jungle, they forget to become, you know, basically culturalized. They lose their, their, their knowledge of the forest. They live deep in the forest. They have to spend all kinds of money to go out to town to buy medicines. Usually these rural outposts have the worst quality medicines, and the pharmacists don't really aren't doctors. They don't know. They prescribe wrong medicine. So for just the people's own basic well-being and health, it's extremely important for country folk and indigenous people to maintain that plant more. Right. In Ecuador, we have the situation where there's basically millions of hectares of priceless tropical rainforest in the hands of indigenous people that are going through cultural dissolution. So when some of the work that I've been involved in is trying to find ways to, for example, publishing bilingual education books, both in the, in the language of the indigenous community and in the local language, in this case Spanish, mm -hmm. about the uses of the plants and highlighting the importance of it. And oftentimes... Because there's a generation gap that's growing wider and wider. Certain youth, they lost their elders, or people, have, you know, the elders move, you know, die, or people move because of uh, migration and don't have elders near them. Right. So they don't know, they don't have anyone to learn about this plant from. So a book of this nature has, can have a profound effect, and I hope that there's other ethnobotanists listening to what I'm saying now, and that this inspires more people to go out into the field in Central or South America, work with indigenous communities, try to find small grants to support them, to publish the knowledge of these people related to medicinal plants in the language of these communities and in Spanish, and try to work with the teacher of the local school to see if they can get them put into the curriculum of the school. That's extremely important. That also touches upon the issues of intellectual property rights. In most cases, something's happening now, too, where Darrell Posey, he's an anthropologist that discusses this issue of depth of intellectual property rights. And, you know, for example, with the case of um, Curare, the classic case of Curare where, indigenous, where Indians in the Amazon, and I have a, a lot of new origin myth about how they learned the, the use of Curare arrow poisons, too, mm -hmm. as well, which is a fascinating thing. And it was from the grandchildren, according to the story, the grandchildren of, of grandmother and grandfather creator. They taught the Waranis how to use the certain vine so they could live better. And so they can be able to catch meat through, because the snakes have, they say, teeth, the eagles have claws, but the Guaranis are living naked in the forest, you know, with, with basically, they needed a way to, to, to live, so the grand, the grandchildren of, of, grand, of grandfather and grandmother creator taught them the use of the curata arrow poison. <clears throat> and then what happened is, is that many other tribes in the Amazon use these arrow poisons too. It was discovered by, you know, by the West, and, and it has become one of the most, you know, an alkaloid, tubocuarine was isolated. And, you know, probably, I wouldn't be exaggerating, saying that millions or if not hundreds of thousands of lives have been saved because it's a muscle relaxant that they use right, right, right. to accomplish, you know, delicate heart surgery. Right, yeah. But the indigenous... You know, there are many, I, th I think there are... Uh, I, for, I forget who uh, who I was listening to, but I but I know that even even today many of the pharmaceuticals uh, that are that are manufactured, uh, you know, and sold 
in the traditional Western method, like you're talking about, are still based. Many, I think, I, I think it was something like 75 percent of them are still based on plant compounds. Yes, that's true. That's the case. There you go. Um, nothing, you know, human beings, no matter how hard we try, will never be able to produce or even come close to imitating the, the complexity of the, of the molecules and the gene, the alkaloids and the, the chemicals that nature produces. So, we, you know, it's ridiculous. All pharmaceuticals know this. They go straight to the source to look for medicine. So <laughs> exactly. pharmaceutical industries should be more involved in the fight to save the rainforest right. as a genetic library base, if nothing else, for their own industry. Right. Yeah, it's, uh, um, it, it, it's just been a... I mean, obviously, the, the, the relationship between the plants and the planet and the people has just been this uh, millions-of-year-long sort of chemistry experiment, you know, just mm. developing all of these different compounds and different molecules and things. And, and like you say, there's, there's probably a compound for every damn neurotransmitter or every receptor in the human brain out there somewhere. It's just a matter of finding them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's extremely profound, extremely complex. Everything. There's a there's a book called The Wizard of the Upper Amazon by I think it's Bruce Lamb, an account of a, of a, a, a story of a, of a young boy who was captured by these Indians, and he was trained to be their chief, their shaman chief, hmm. so that because because of the vision that the chief had, so that he could help the Indians acquire rifles. They lived with faces tattooed, and they would never be able to buy rifles from the settlers. Right. Um, and so he helped them get rifles so they could defend themselves against the invading rubber tappers as happened in the turn of the century. Okay. And the amazing thing is that a friend of mine went to Peru and he discovered, talking to this indigenous uh, people's federation, that these Indians, the Huni Kui or the Amawaka, which they're also called, which means those that don't cry, because they were basically they were one of the few people that when they got tortured by the rubber tappers, they'd never cry or make them or scream or nothing. Very, very, very stern and extremely strong people but till this very day they're one of the largest non-contacted tribes living in Peru they'll kill anyone that comes near them that and right? they live in a territory an un- unrooted rainforest wilderness larger than all of Ecuador wow. and it's all and so we have this book you know that's been written about these people because of this man Manuel Cordoba later he escaped the tribe and became a famous healer in Iquitos, Peru and contributed a lot of knowledge to um, in the, the realms of ethnobotany, and he was he, he said that there's no illness amongst the human race that cannot be healed by plants and nature. Hmm. And I believe that. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things we were talking about is this intellectual property rights and about the uh, the curata, arrow poison. So that's one case where like you know millions and millions of dollars have been generated, and none of it's gone back to help the forest survive or help the people that have discovered this right. in any way. And it's an extremely complicated process, all of this. But I think that this uh, new ethnobotany is interesting because now what's happening is that a lot of indigenous people are very dubious about sharing the plant lore with people, with outsiders. But the indigenous youth aren't interested either, so... The elders, as they die, they, they die with this knowledge. Richard Evan Schultes, who is really the father of, of ethnobotany of this century, so Harvard ethnobotanist, published several books, Where the Gods Reign, Plants, um, I think it's Botany and Chemistry of Hallucinogenic Plants, Plants of the Gods, Vine of the Soul. Wow. And uh, he published some incredible books. He... He uh, he said that the, the knowledge of the, of the forest is disappearing faster than the forest itself. 
So if people go down there with this intention of helping the community put together a booklet on the plants in both the native language and Spanish for oh, the community, we're much more likely to receive accurate knowledge as well. And then what the certain person does with that knowledge, it's, 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 there's a lot of possibilities, but it's... Um, I, I don't know. I think I don't think like you know. I think this will never really enter the mainstream. Traditional Chinese medicine and the patent pharmaceutical you know, patent herbal medicines that they have is probably an Ayurvedic medicine will probably eventually get more mainstream than let's say Amazonian rainforest medicine. There's one company, Rainforest Bioenergetics, that work with indigenous people in Peru, marketing really fine quality rainforest herbs. But I think it's probably never really going to get into the mainstream. But people interested in, you know, enhancing their health have a lot to, to benefit from experimenting with rainforest medicines. But most of them will never make it into the mainstream. It'll right. just be the blessed few right, that, have to that go are out. able to. You got to go out yeah. and look. You got to go out and look for them. You got to know a little bit about it and want to go out there and learn about them. So. Right. Well, hopefully, people that are listening to this program uh, will uh, will understand some of these things and realize uh, that there are some. Uh, not some, but there are just a myriad of treasures out there and, and priceless uh, information and, and, and uh, species. And the indigenous peoples themselves, the cultures themselves, like you say, are being, uh, are being dissolved, literally absorbed into uh, post-industrialist Western capitalism and um, uh, saving and somehow... Uh, Preserving this knowledge is certainly something that is incredibly important. And, you know, Jonathan, it's yeah. funny because I think that more and more people, uh, this idea that you have of the so-called new ethnobotany, I think that the timing is right because there are a lot more people, I think, realizing that the that this the disconnect or the separation from nature uh, has been. Uh, really debilitating and one of the major problems that we've run into in Western society that's now really sort of coming to a head and I think a lot of people really are realizing that we have to reestablish that connection to the earth and to the plants because I mean what what are people without plants we we have to have plants to survive period mm -hmm. that's correct so anyway, okay. Well, with that, I think um, why don't we talk about uh, about Guardia de Osa a little bit and um, uh, and what uh, what you guys are doing there. Obviously, um, you're doing some incredible things. So tell me tell me how you get, how how that thing got going and what what it's all about. But I tell you what, let's take a break first. So uh, we'll do that and we'll be back again with my guest Jonathan Miller Weisberger. This is Radio Orbit on KOPN.
What it is is an incredible project. Wadiya means orchid. And so what, also it's, cause it's on the Osa Peninsula. Which is, well, where, where is that exactly, Jonathan? Osa Peninsula is um, in South, South Pacific Costa Rica. Okay. And on the border between Costa Rica and Panama. And it's an incredible area. The Osa Peninsula is the world's famous Corcovala National Park, which is really one of the most intact wilderness rainforest preserves left in the New World tropics. And it's 
hundreds, hundreds of thousands of acres of wilderness rainforest tumbling right down to a pristine ocean wow. that is loaded with whales and dolphins. Oh my gosh! It's really beautiful out here. There's no lack of wildlife. All kinds of monkeys, tapirs, many, many kinds of beautiful birds, scarlet macaws, toucans, white hawks, black hawks, huh. and the ocean is really just vibrant and alive. The area is charged with all kinds of energy. Sounds incredible. Really strong natural energy. The sunset, the sun setting right now. The gorgeous sunset. The sky is filled with colors. Five, sixteen down here right now. Man, you know, I can hear the, I can hear the waves breaking in the background too. It just sounds incredible. It is, yeah, it is. We got this office here on, this, on a rock, <clears throat> complete with a coconut peeler. Oh my Every God. day when I come make a phone call, yeah, I found a. Uh, we look for a, there's tons of coconuts here. When they fall, they start sprouting. We peel them with a stake, and inside is like this huge softball-sized sprout. That's just delicious, <laughs> one of a kind. Anyway, so we, we were able to just, you know, as a, just an enthusiast and admirer of the rainforest, I always wanted to come visit the Yosef Peninsula. Right. And my mother, from being from Panama, one day we finally came and visited some relatives in Panama, so I took the opportunity to come north and cross over the border into Costa Rica and hiked 80 kilometers across the whole Yosef Peninsula. And I met this old guy named Don, who I work with, who works with us today still, named Don Victorio Vigereal Vigereal which is a classic name because Victoria means victory and Dijerel is from the real village. Huh. So victory from the real village. And he, he was raised with the indigenous people here in Costa Rica, which are very few. It's like 3 or 4% of the population of Costa Rica is indigenous as opposed to Ecuador, which is like 48%. Wow. But, um, and since he was a guitarist and played really good guitar, they'd always take him along for their different events and religious festivals to play guitar. So he became friends with the chief because he said, you're extremely jealous which are plant lore but he started learning about the medicinal plants and he's a local herbologist and a healer and I've had the good fortune of being able to study with him and help him out a bit with his fixing his house and doing some work for the old man so he's, he's became better and better friends and so he actually has been teaching me a lot about the local medicinal plants here which wonderful, is wonderful. really a great thing and then you know, I spent about five days at his house he asked me if I was interested in buying some property and I said if it's in the will of the great spirit this place is just too good to be true and he brought me down and introduced me to this family that wanted to sell and so we ended up buying this property out there and since this, this happened in two year 2000 and five years now we've been building the center and uh, Guadalupe means orchid as I said and we called it orchid because orchid represents <clears throat> it's a symbol of the freshness of nature uh-huh. so part of our aspirations is a center which is a retreat center we call it Guadalupe de Osa rainforest and ocean retreat and ethnobotanical gardens. It's to create a place in nature close to the rainforest and right on the beach where people can come and enjoy nature and get in touch with the freshness of, of nature. Nature has the ability of renewing everything and it can renew people and it can renew our spirit. And for our own vibrancy, for our own health and happiness, it's really important to get out into nature and help to stay fresh, stay new. So we got the center here, yoga floor. We've had a few <clears throat> groups come down with yoga instructors to practice yoga, swim in the ocean, explore the forest. And we've also part of the part of the intentions of the center being kind of in the balance point between North South America, right, in Central America, and also 
to the Pacific and the Caribbean oceans. It's a, a, a teaching center that brings together the time-tested aspects of the time-tested world cultures of East and West, of the Americas mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and of the Orient, of Asia. So we, <clears throat> I myself, I'm a practitioner of, of a certain style of Chinese yoga called Daowin, which I, I share and teach. I was fortunate to study traditional Chinese massage with a Chinese master. We teach and you know, practice therapeutic massage clean up. And we want to bring together, we've had Don Maringo come, who's the author, co-author of Ayahuasca Vision, mm -hmm. the iconography of a Peruvian shaman. Extremely incredible experiences. And all of us, you know, classic old-time teaching in Ayahuasca, Don Bartolo Aguinda here with us right now. Who, who's sharing with you know guests that come about his experience as a, pra as a practicing shaman, and he actually does healings on people too. And, and so we want to bring together you know, aspects like yoga, Dawin, Tai Chi, and uh, traditional knowledge of the Americas, ethnobotany, shamanism, and in its truest form, which is a really high form of spiritual, you know, contact basically and spiritual mm -hmm. energy. Well, and in, okay. this, in, uh, in this February, we have a retreat coming up with, with Jeremy Narby and also <clears throat> uh, David a Abrams, who's the author of The Spell of the, of the Sensuous, recently confirmed that he will be coming as well. Wonderful. So, so this will be happening from the 1st to the 9th of February. All right, well, l l let, me, uh, let me give a little bit of information out about the website and stuff if people want to get more information on this. Uh -huh, um, sure. for, uh, for those uh, who are interested, you can go to the web at http uh, www.guariadeosa.com. That's G-U-A-R-I-A-D-E-O-S-A.com. And uh, just go to the home page there, and there's all kinds of information about some of the events that are coming up, uh, the retreat center itself, uh, information about uh, about Jonathan here and some of the other staff members. And it, and it looks like it's just a fantastic place. I mean, it looks like it's just incredible, Jonathan. Yeah, we're really blessed to be able to find and acquire this property because it's a really phenomenal place. The forest, the forest here is just out of control. Huge trees, loads of wildlife, um, phosphorescent plankton light up the waves at night like fluorescent lights. Huh. And in Costa Rica, it's a really genuinely beautiful country. The people are really peaceful, and it's just just it's a really to do this this kind of thing and bring people together. So every, anyone who's interested is more than welcome to check out our website and join us if you if you can. I'm sure, it's going to be a great experience. All right. Now, um, Gua, now Guaria is is also a uh, it's sort of a family affair, isn't it? I know that your mother's involved, and uh, yeah, it's a small, basically it's a family run operation, and uh, we have room for about 22 to 30, also with camp uh, <clears throat> guests. We have one main lodge which is three-storied, and it's been built like a traditional Taoist temple with raised eaves, cloudburst eaves. We have another bungalow cabin that's two stories with private bath on each floor with some guest quarters. Then we have another house with the, with, uh, the floors as well with uh, and some shared communal showers and dining hall. And the... We were able to build a center completely from trees falling over in windstorms up in... Some of the trees were cut down over 30 years ago to make pastures up here about an hour back in the settlement called, called Los Planes. So 
it's, it's an incredible feat of architecture in, the, in, the, in many reasons for Lawson because of the fact that we didn't have to cut any trees down right. to acquire the timber. It was all hauled in by oxen and horse. There's no roads. We're about a 30-minute, well, we're an hour and a half boat ride from the end of the road. Okay. There's another road that comes out to Drake Bay that's open only in the dry season, and that's about 20 minutes drive. Wow. 20-minute boat ride. So in order to get there, you have to take a, you drive to a certain part and then get on a boat and then take the boat the rest of the way to your place. KOPN 89.5 FM. On Nature Air has these beautiful plains with huge windows, the stunning views of the Paradise coastline and the Rainforest Hills. That's a 40-minute flight to Drake Bay. And from there, it's 20 minutes by boat and then about another 20 minutes walking down the beach. Wow. Better walk through this coconut grove and then along this beach. Well, it sounds like it's something else. So, uh, so kudos to you guys for, get, for getting that whole thing together. I think it's great. Okay. Um, well, uh, we've talked a little bit about uh, about your project there. We've talked about ethnobotany, a little bit about the the tribes and stuff. Um, uh, I'll kind of let you uh, uh, take it where you like right now. But I'd certainly like to know more about. Um, I think one of the things that people would like to know about is. We, we've told some uh, interesting stories and some uh, some some fun stuff, uh, and let's talk a little bit about the actual benefits that some of these things uh, might bring to uh, you know to Western society. I w- in other words, we have to give people a reason to believe that this is important, you know. And it's it's so uh, it seems obvious to you and me, perhaps. Um, but let's talk a little bit more about the value that's really there in the rainforest, and not just in the plants themselves, but with the tribes and 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 this this knowledge and stuff that they have isn't all just uh, you know just hocus pocus. Uh, there's there's some practical practical applications for all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. In order to stay healthy, we need to be in touch with the vitality of nature. That can be found anywhere in the city or in the, or in the country. And um, plants and ingesting plants, we were able to communicate more with that energy, receive that energy from them, but also through practices like yoga, meditation, we were able to serenade our bodies. And there's an energy here on the Yosef Peninsula, it's very unique. And um, it's very interesting too because hundreds of years ago there was indigenous tribes that lived in this area and they made extremely elaborate gold um, ornament, ornaments and gold eagles that they'd wear and all sorts of gold nose pieces and earrings with little bells hanging on them. And then um, they heard about the conquest of the Inca uh, that was taking place of the, the Mayas and the Aztecs and then they all collect, committed a collective suicide. Hmm. Indians in this area. They buried themselves alive. But before doing that, because they thought that what they're going to do is they're just going to basically... The indigenous people, before contact with uh, civilization, they didn't have a, a belief in life or death. There was no difference between life. So what I need is have this, origin, this story about a time long ago where, they're, where they're, when someone died, they just went to live on the other side of this river. But there's a bridge so you could cross over easily, go back and forth. And uh, someone took advantage of the powers that, that you received once you died. Right. And that's what made... It was actually an accident, they say. That's what made the, the river widen and widen and widen where the bridge fell into the water and then they couldn't cross anymore. And what I was talking about...
talking about is the Indians, indigenous people in the area of the Yesa Peninsula. It's very strange. I read this in a book committed collective suicide about 400 years ago. Wow. And they thought that, you know, basically instead of being conquered, that they would just go away to another place and then come back later hmm. when the land was free again to live in peace. And so what they did is that they buried all their gold and uh, they did it. There's all sorts of mysteries related to, to this gold. And some people have gotten pretty rich about off of find, you know, finding gold out here on the Yosef Peninsula. There's an 18 kilo, 18 kilo nougat of gold rock, basically, in the Jaden Gold Museum in San Jose. It's the last piece. My God. As you leave the museum, that was found just an hour north of here on, on the Violinas Island. It's, it's prohibited for, the government has it totally prohibited for anyone to, to take gold out now. Right. But, um, some people say it's because of the gold that was buried by the Indians that you, that that you can witness them and what I'm gonna, what I'm going to share with you and, and it's very strange once in a while I've seen this happen a few times at night you're walking down the beach and and this ball of light came out and then just broke up into hundreds of pieces like fireworks and just sprinkled out all over the place huh. and then when I first bought the property I didn't see this except the last night I saw it, but some of the neighbors said it was happening like every night because I was going to bed too early we were on ten o'clock right sprinkles of blue light were coming up from behind just right from behind our property coming up through the sky and coming down to this island called Kanyo Island that's I'm looking at it right now it's about a 45 minute boat ride it's an oceanic reserve and it was a ceremonial site where a lot of the chiefs and spiritual chiefs were buried that's a very important pre-Columbian burial site and so that's really really mysterious one time a friend of ours was caretaking the center here and we were all out and he was here alone. It happened to be February 14th and he saw this ball of green light right there around 3 in the morning hoovering in front of the house and he just he felt extremely happy. He said he wasn't scared or anything and it expanded a bit and contracted a bit and went around the house and slowly kind of went up the hill and disappeared into the forest. But it's um, it's called Amasanga Supai, which means it's the spirit or the power of nature. Wherever nature is is, is pristine, it has, an, it has a lot of power. Very place for people to become submerged in nature, and it's really sublime to just enjoy the nature, let nature renew one. The Indians always have a, have one of the classical aspects of indigenous culture is the Purina Tambu which means like a place away from the village where they'll go for hunting or for purification. Indigenous people look at nature as a place for, to achieve purification. Mm-hmm. They'll go bathe in the waterfalls, swim in the river um, where the rapids are and the clear rivers lay in the rapids. And so the Purina Tambo is a place away from where you live, where you go into nature, to retreat into nature to achieve purification and health and vitality from nature. Okay. So that's what the center in Costa Rica is about, is not your average hotel or eco-resort. Right, right. We kind of want to consider it like a Purina Tambo. It's a, a place in nature where people can come achieve healing, renewal, spiritual purification right. through contact with nature and to different guest elders and cultural masters that will be coming to give different workshops and presentations. Well, okay, let's talk some more about uh, those types of people, the cultural masters that we're talking about, the shamans, the people that are coming there to speak, and what, uh, what are they sharing? What are they teaching? 
a lot of the elders, especially the like the shamans, are extremely reserved people in the in the, in the the literature, classical Taoist literature, you often come across, he who speaks does not know. Hmm. He who does not speak knows. And with the elder, with a lot of indigenous elders, the classic case, they hardly say a word. And so just to be with these old time people and receive their energy is a blessing in and of itself. Not to idealize them, they're human beings as well. But like Don Bartolo, he's, he's here right now. And so he, he talks a bit about his like experiences. Right. Um, different kind of um, different healings that he's accomplished he can talk about and share he talks about his disciplining the dieting that he went through his his father, his grandfather's ancestors how he learned to be a shaman how he learned to have contact with the spirit of nature, how he surpassed the temptations of the lower levels to do harm or how he purified himself with jealousies and these kind of things that that, that prevent one from having contact with divine spirits that allow one to allow these people, these individuals to accomplish healing. She's also here to heal people. So if people have complicated ailments, they can come and, and maybe one week might be too short a time, but he can, you know, he, he, he's here to do healings on people as well. And then, like, we have people like Jeremy Narby, who's, I would consider a cultural master in his own right, too. He's a doctorate in anthropology. But he's he's from the West. He's he's he speaks English and he's educated in the university. And just because he talks a lot doesn't mean he doesn't know. But he's not a, coming out as a spiritual master. He's he's an anthropologist, right, right, and he right. has a great amount of information to share about in this specific workshop about the relationship and about the latest discoveries of the molecular biology of DNA and how that corresponds, how certain aspects of the shamanic knowledge, the, the, the knowledge that the shamans have acquired through the use of these of these sacramental um, beverages, how, how they, what, what they've discovered from, from ancient times and what they still use in practice today, how that correlates with DNA, the latest discoveries of DNA. And then some of the things, too, we share and teach, there's certain meditation techniques, uh, ways of serenading, of calming the spirit, calming the being to achieve sense of inner peace, which is always important for health, for success. Yoga, we practice and teach yoga, which is a form of traditional exercises originally from India. There's different types of yoga that are used now. More, It's becoming more and more popular as a form of achieving health, inner peace, vitality. And then we also do a lot of practices in, in nature, different form, different meditations in nature where some of the masters that come, we have like Don Victorio, the classic Osipanenta elder, who teaches about the use of the local medicinal plants and accomplishes healings that people need for ailments they might have. He can prescribe rainforest medicinals and prepare bottles of medicines for people to bring with them or give them barks of trees. He talks a lot about his experiences raised amongst the indigenous people when he was a gold, a gold panner back in the day of Corcoval before it came to National Park. And so it's just pretty much, we also, all the, the workshop is interlaced with ocean adventures, rainforest adventures. So it's a lot of it's practice, practical, first-hand experience with nature, with the rainforest. And then in the afternoon, talking to the elders about their experiences, receiving a good massage, practicing some yoga, getting healed by one of the elders, listening to 
uh, to one of the experts, give a presentation about mm. his experiences and so forth and so on. Okay. All right. Hey, um, uh, you, you, you made me think about something when you talked about uh, some of the rainforest hikes and things like that. Um, I'm, I'm curious about the history uh, of that area, and maybe, like you talked about, three, 400 years ago, the tribes, uh, the indigenous people that were living there, do you, are there still ruins and, and, and things there? In other words, in, in the middle of the forest, is it, is, is it the possibility you know, that there are still you know, cities and things that have yet to be uncovered out there? Oh, there are. Yeah, there's huge. Like, there's this one woman that lives up in the hill up here. She's living right on top of indigenous indigenous burial site, and they guarded ferociously. They don't let anyone go in and looking for digging around. And mm-hmm. so, uh, about six months ago, one of their horses died, and they dug a hole to bury it, and they found this golden eagle down there in the ground. Like you were talking about before. But one of the things that's amazing in this area is on the 5,000 Colonia Costa Rican Bill. It's just perfectly spherical rocks that, with a modern-day lathe, could not be made. They weigh tons, and uh, they're made out of granite that's found in the north part of the country, so no one really knows how they even got here. And there's all big kinds of different theories, but um, in the 19, a lot of them were moved into parks in the front of banks, but a lot of them are still in the, the original sites. We, we visit some of these spheres. And um, it's interesting because a study was done in the 1970s before these, a lot of these stones were moved, and the fellow that did this study discovered that a bunch of these rocks, like 10 of these spheres, were in a perfectly straight line indicating towards Easter Islands. Oh, man. And then there was another bunch of rocks in, in a perfectly straight line, and there were, like, he traced it, you know, in a line just around the globe, just to see out of curiosity where it would land. And to the precision, they landed on the, 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 the pyramids in Egypt. In Egypt. At Giza, right. So it's very mysterious, and there's some out on the island, too. You'd have to have a pretty hefty boat to get one of those out there. But no one really knows. There's a lot of different theories about about how they were formed and made and why they were why they're there. But that's 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 a mark that the, the ancestor people of this area left. Yeah, that's a whole nother uh that's a whole nother uh, story, you know, the, the the mysterious history of so much of the uh so many of the different tribes uh from South America, you know, that you, you made me think of uh, another phenomenon that I that I'm very curious about that I've yet to really see a reasonable answer yet. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the with the so-called Ica stones of Peru. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and uh, of course that's just one one more example. But there there's so much uh, as as you mentioned. There's the current uh, indigenous knowledge and the plant life um, that is in that, that that's there right now in real time. Uh, yet there are also all of these historical mysteries and unknowns and questions that we have so much to learn from as well and uh and, and a lot of that knowledge is being lost as well so i really do think oh, yeah. that it's wonderful that 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 you guys are working so hard to uh to preserve this stuff john so yeah you know we're doing what we're doing what we can to try to create you know bridges basically between generations between communities between people to allow for this all to be shared and transmitted in in you know in, um, in basically personal Ways between individuals that really can nourish and help individuals, and little by little, each individual is part of society. But, you know, there's one thing too that's really incredible. That as you know, we know more and more that that pre pre Columbian you know, ancestral uh, civilizations had precise mathematical knowledge. Right. And there's one thing that was really interesting that interested in the Ecuador, which is right on the center of the, of the globe, on the equator is that I think it was the French, when the French team came to build this monument, 
in Ecuador called the Mitad of Munda, the center of the world, right on the equator. There was no GPS in those days yet. And they actually built it like, I think it's like, I can't remember exactly, but I think it's actually like almost two or 3,000 meters north, no, south, south of the equator. Okay. So they, they, they missed the exact spot. But now with GPS, there's archaeologists doing these studies, and they found this spot precisely at 000000. No Basically, way. Basically, it's like, and it's an, it's, an arch, it's an ancient archaeological site that's a perfectly round stone uh, plaza right at the center, the exact center, and there's, this, um, there's these two peaks. Well, right at the time of the, of the, of the um, summer winter solstice, the sun comes right over the, each of those peaks. <laughs> they were right. They, they knew what they were doing. <laughs> yep, no doubt. And, and there, there are examples of that all over the world. And it's so interesting that uh, you mentioned that those stones were lined up in such a way to uh, point... Uh, in one case to Easter Island and in the other case over to Giza. But, uh, it, you know, that I, I had never heard that particular story before, but it's certainly in line with some of the other, uh, uh, the other sort of uh, monuments that, are, that exist all around the planet that, that sort of indicate to me that at some time in the past uh, there was, uh, certainly there was an, an, an advanced civilization that understood things like higher mathematics and uh, astronomy and things like that, but also it seems that they were connected uh, across the globe, that there was maybe some sort of communication across the planet. Mm -hmm. Okay, Jonathan, uh, good time for another break. We'll be back in just a few minutes. This is Mike Hagan. You're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN. My guest is Jonathan Miller-Weisberger, ethnobotanist down at Guaria de Osa in Costa Rica. Back in just a few. Thanks for listening. All right, uh, this is Mike, and we're going to get right back to that interview because we're kind of tight for time. Stick around for Carol Greenspan and Jewish Spectrum coming up right after my show. And um, we'll uh, play the rest of this interview and play a little bit of music right at the end of the show and, um, and then uh, be back next week. And by the way, Pledge Drive starts. We're going to do Pledge Drive next week and the following week, and I'm going to try to raise some money so I don't have a whole lot of you listening out there. Uh, so the ones of you uh, who are listening and appreciate this program, uh, think about it next week, okay? Thanks a lot. Back in a minute. You know, if anyone's interested in <clears throat> reading about some of the uh, coming, coming, coming into contact with the depth of spiritual knowledge that, that the masters have, there's, uh, there's a, a series of excellent, excellent books by a Taoist master by the name of Ni Huaqing, Huaqing Ni he has a website, and it's DowStar.com. It's dot com. It's so with a T. T-A-O-S-T-A-R.com. Okay. And you'll see there the several links on his website to his herb company, which is Traditions of Dao. They put out excellent traditional herbal formulas. And he's a 76-generation Taoist master who's written several really phenomenal books about the, the ancient culture. In a, in a modern way where modern readers can really appreciate and enjoy. So anyone interested in ancestral cultures and traditional cultures and find the relevancy of this, of this wisdom to enhance our life today would highly benefit from reviewing some of Master Nee's books. All right. Well, um, 
you want to talk a little bit about some of that stuff? You want to talk about uh, some of the things that you've learned uh, from those traditions and, and how they can uh, help us in the, in the real world in, in, in the year 2005? Yeah, well, you know, think now, now, for example, like it seems sometimes that maybe a, a lot of the spiritual laws of the past was actually discovered to help people in this time. Now we're in, that, we're in a time where this knowledge is most needed, probably more than ever. I agree. Because we're at the verge of, you know, basically destroying the, you know, the world's resources, global warming, and sometimes it's really depressing because of, you know, the decisions that our leaders make. Are extremely are disrupting the peace in the world, so that that throws people off balance in their own inner peace. And so, you know, Master Nui's books are full of different practices. Like Daoism, for example, is one which is a traditional yoga that helps to dis. It means energy challenge uh, channeling. So the the purpose of Daoism is to break up obstructions of energy inside the body, so that the energy inside the body can flow freely. Up. Each human body is basically constructed of, of, besides the tissues, the nervous system, and the bones and all the organs, we also have energy flows through our body, which the traditional Chinese doctors call, today is known as meridians. These meridians, the first sign of a disease, or, or, uh, it would be a blockage of the energy flow through these meridians. These meridians intercorrelate inter all the organs and different parts of the body. Is this then later comes. Uh -huh. Jonathan, is that is this similar to the to the Indian idea of chakras and this sort of thing, energy centers, or? or There's is a lot of similarities, and basically different traditions all kind of touch upon the same points, but in different ways. A friend of mine, Jeffrey Conant, he was just here, just down here at Guadalajara, left two days ago. He uh, published in a really interesting book about the correlations between acupuncture and Mayan traditional medicine. The Mayans actually had a form of acupuncture, and it was, it's much more uh, rudimentary than the traditional Chinese huh. acupuncture, but they had acupuncture, and they knew about meridians. Wow. And so, and like, for example, the chakras in the Taoist uh, culture is called the Dan Dian, which means an energy field. Or a garden where energy is cultivated, mm -hmm. immortal medicine, immortal energy is cultivated. Um, I'm just a student of these things, but they've helped me in many, many ways. Daoism, in particular, has really helped me. Um, one of the things you notice when you start practicing Daoism for a while is that you don't get sick, hmm. and you have good, solid energy. I wake up in the morning and I have good energy, and I go to sleep, and I sleep good, and I have good dreams, and I wake up and I feel good. <laughs> That's something that uh, that we could sell to a lot of people. I think uh, that, that you know these uh, these practical ideas. It's so funny because in the in the uh, in the rat race, you know, in in Western society, especially up here in the states, you know, in the big cities, and that you have so many people that are so uh, look. You know, people are looking. They're looking everywhere for some way. You know, to mm -hmm. to uh, to to do exactly the sort of things that you're talking about, to calm down, to get healthy, to, uh, to, to uh, feel better about themselves, in, you know, both spiritually and mentally, physically, the whole bit. And, and, and many of these answers or many of the things that could help them are, are, are free and they're right here. They're, 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 they're right in front of them, but, but the fact that they are looking in the wrong place or don't know where to look, uh, they, they never even, they, a lot of people don't even learn about these things, you know? 
Right, that's one of the good things we can do through these talk shows is announce to the public basically about these spiritual resources such as Master Me's books, about the retreats that we organize at the People want to come down, visit the forest, meet some, some spiritual cultural masters, <clears throat> get pointed in certain directions that may or may not help me. It all depends on, on our own earnest and sincere yearning to learn and discover to make ourselves wiser and healthier. Right. But, for example... <clears throat> One of the things, too, that's really sad now is that people become more more materialistic and they think more about me, 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 and what only helps me instead of thinking about others as well. And there's a, a quote in one of these books written by Master Nee that says, one-inch attachment represents one-inch of spiritual entrapment. And so right now, basically, people are more and more entrapped all the time because we're so attached to all this right, all these material, material things. things. We use so much resources constantly. And so it's really good. I highly urge people to travel, too, to get out and oh, see the way the world is, not gosh. just to stay in their own little box. You know, it's good to, to read about the world, to go out, to visit. If people have the, the extra resources we can afford traveling, it's really important to help deepen our experiences and to somehow get involved as well in some kind of service. For example, here with our projects in, in Costa Rica, we're just starting off in the business just beginning we really sincerely hope that we'll, that it'll become a successful un, un, enterprise, and we want to donate 3% of the funds you raise to our nonprofit organization for our projects in Ecuador. I have a, I'll leave you with this last note. I still have a project in Ecuador. It's with a community, and a Quechua Indian community called the Amasanga community. Amasanga means the spirit of the forest, and it's um, where their grandfather studied to be a shaman. These sacred lakes, we were able to buy it off this, these colonists that live there because this proposed road that was going to be put through a bunch of years ago. This, all these colonists came and basically settled the area. No one really lives out there, but they have land claims out there, and some of them even have uh, land title. So with the help of a foundation in California, the Living Bridges Foundation, as mm -hmm. well as the Tropical Rainforest Coalition, and another group that recently helped us as well, the Family Land Trust, we've been able to, over the years, little by little, buy more and more rainforest these properties directly border with Sangai National Park as well, which has been declared by UNESCO as a patrimony of humanity. This is in Amazonian Ecuador. We have 3,000 acres now purchased, and it's, uh, it's in the name of the Amazonia community. We have a contractual agreement with the community that they're going to use the land as a Purina Tambu, which basically means a place to achieve purification in nature like the old days, live the traditional ways and bring people visiting guests. And this uh, this June, June 18th, we have actually a workshop tour down there as well. That'll be posted on our website by by early January. All right, that sounds great. Hey, you know, I was just thinking about something else too, um, uh, with regard to to the experiences that are available down there um, in Costa Rica and and in many places. Uh, first of all, I want to agree with you fully for people to get out there and experience their world, see the planet as much of it as they can. And and uh, like Jonathan says, if you have the resources to go elsewhere, do it. If you don't have the resources, there are usually amazing places that aren't very far from where all of us live. I, li I live. Mm -hmm. I live in the middle of uh, Missouri, uh, in at a place where a p place where people would think couldn't be more boring. But there is some incredible uh, Native American 
um, history around here. There are mounds and terraforms that uh, uh, that are astronomically significant, and there's lots of incredible research in most of our backyards. Um, it's just a matter of wanting to learn and going out there and finding it. But, uh, um, Jonathan, I want to talk about children and about how... Um, uh, the effect of these things on children. Um, I have I have a one-year-old son, and uh, and more than more than anything, I want to get him down to a place like Guaria de Osa so he can experience uh, at a young age, you know, the the true setting of the forest and 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 that uh, and and that that feeling of the connection to nature and I think I think that so many children unfortunately these days uh, aren't afforded that um, and grow up uh, really uh, debilitated in a certain way for longing for that connection to nature mm. yeah it's really important too it doesn't work theoretically watching movies you know wildlife films or reading books about the countryside that won't work the only way to really experience nature is by going out leaving the city, going out into the country, going up to some wilderness peaks or some national park and experiencing it firsthand. And it's really important for kids to get out into the forest at least, you know, a few times a year, especially, you know, inner city kids. Because nature just does something to people. For me, it's inspired me profoundly. And it's something that really is part of the heritage of humanity. We, We live in a natural world. You know, so many people live in cities now, so they don't get to experience nature except for maybe outside of a park or for the pigeons. But to get out into pristine primary nature with old-growth trees and where the forest has never been logged or the panoramic vistas of wilderness peaks is really important to deepen the human soul, make us wiser. And the only thing that wisdom can do to a human being is, is give us more inner peace, help us to deal with the challenges of living in a more and more complex world. There's nothing to fear. And and I, I agree with you, getting kids out into the woods is really an important thing. One of the intentions for our summer here, we'd like to eventually down the line, is organize some kind of like summer camp, bring kids out here and teach them how to make fires without matches. And <laughs> it's warm so we can get away with like sweeping on the beach with no, no, no uh, blanket right, and right doing kind of initiation rites of passage things, which are essentially, you know, things that give one courage in combination with humility. Right. Traditional culture teaches us the importance of courage, but in combination with, with sincerity and humility. Gosh, I, I agree. There's different virtues. Master Nguyen, his book, talks all about the virtues that are, that are found in nature and in the, that we need to cultivate within ourselves. Yeah, this whole idea that uh, you know that man is dominant over nature and can control nature, and uh, and this whole idea is such a dangerous concept. And and for uh, to understand that nature, number one, is is our uh, is our breadbasket. It's where without without the natural world, with the destruction of the natural world, obviously we destroy ourselves. Um, but also. Uh, that you have to respect it, you know. Uh, there has to be, regardless of what we do out there, look, we all have to eat. We all have to eat uh, food in order to survive. And mm-hmm. whether, wh- whether that's plants or whether that's animals, 
animals eat plants, and if we eat the if we eat the animal, we're we're still dependent upon the plant, and we still have to have a fundamental respect for the life of that plant and the life of that animal, which gives us life. And uh, and 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 when you look at things in in that particular way, you know, as a thou instead of as an it, for example, um, mm-hmm. you you. Those those connections come back and things become more obvious and more apparent. But but for but for children or adults who have never felt that or never had that connection, uh, it's really sort of uh, an ignorance is bliss sort of situation where they really you, you don't miss it when you've never known it. You know. Mm-hmm. You know we have this strong, this powerful plants out here too where we are on the Essa Peninsula. Um, there's a, I just remember the case. Of a young woman who came down, she had a urinary tract infection. Her doctor had given her some some pharmaceuticals and told her that she could travel. She came with her father for eight days, and the day that they got here, she was ready to leave because she was in so much pain. And her herbologist, Don Victorio, the old man went up to the hill and got this medicine from this tree, uh-huh. bark of this tree and boiled it, and she drank it two times, and the pain completely went away. And she was fine for those eight days. My God! And he, you know, unfortunately, that was just a, a kind of a band-aid because for her to totally have been healed from the urinary tract infection, she would have needed to stay about three months, or at least maybe you know, short. You know, we could have sent her some of the medications, but but Don Victoria said she'll get sick again later. But I told her, you know, if you get sick again, if you want some of this bark, you just let us know, and we'll send it to you. Right. We haven't heard from her. Huh. Ever since, so we're, we're hoping that she's doing well. That's another, uh, you know, another one of the challenges that that we face, that you face in a situation like that is, you know, is the uh, uh, is oh momentum, I guess, is a good word for it. You know, people, uh, it's very easy to go out, get excited about something, and then when you get back into the quote unquote real world, which is actually the illusionary world, uh, but. It's it's it it seems that when people get back into that world and start having to worry again about the mortgage and the kids and the soccer game that they uh, they tend to forget you know about what they did learn or what they did experience. Uh, so you got to keep it in, mm-hmm. keep it keep it out there on the front page you know and keep people talking about right. it. So. Well, we're all pre- we're all pre- we'll have its own set of challenges in this time and whether it's paying the rent, mortgages, acquiring food, and life. In and of itself is a challenging thing for everybody, right. <clears throat> even for the you know well-to-do. Right. They got a different set of challenges than for the folks that got to grow their potatoes to survive. <laughs> right. But um, basically, one of the things that we learn in spiritual knowledge, spiritual culture, is how to concentrate ourselves. And to do less, oftentimes, is to do more. Sometimes people they freak out because of the situations they have are too complicated, complicated, so they want to throw it away and look for something else. Or they get too wrapped up in too many things. So a lot of the, you know, spending time with the elders or reading some of the books from about these people, see how simple their lives are. Right. You know, it helps us to get, get, get kind of create a reference point. Part of the <clears throat> the intention of the retreats we create down here at Guardia de Osa is to, to help people hopefully acquire a reference point, something they can reference back to once they're back in their homes and everyday life, so that they can little by little, you know, start directing their lives towards the place that they would want it to be, right. simplifying their lives, giving themselves more time to achieve the things that they truly feel that they need to achieve, 
And oftentimes I like to explore, like, you know, maybe not just here, but anywhere out in the wilderness peak or an experience in, in primary nature really helps us to achieve a, a ref, reference point as well within ourselves. That in and of itself is really important. Couldn't agree more, Jonathan. So, all right, well, um, we've, got, uh, we've got a few more minutes. If you, we've got maybe, uh, maybe five to ten more minutes left. If you want to sort of wrap things up, we can talk about uh, anything you want to, f- to finish things off. We'll, uh, why don't we mention again the, uh, the website address. That is www.guariadeosa.com, G-U-A-R-I-A-D-E-O-S-A.com. And um, my, uh, my guest has been Jonathan Miller Weisberger, an incredible uh, young man who's doing some great work down there in the Amazon. And uh, um, uh, he's been telling you all about uh, uh, all the stuff that they're working on and, and, and the, uh, the potential for the future, which I think is incredible, Jonathan. I think, the, I think you guys have a tremendous uh, future set up down there. So. Well, thanks, Mike. Yeah, the centers has really come together nice. It's a beautiful place. We have uh, National Botanical Gardens. Part of our intention is to introduce people to the different medicinal plants of the area, teach us botany. We're right here on the Osa Peninsula, the world-famous Osa Peninsula. So, you know, you can't help but just absorb exquisite energy in the nature of the, the climate. It's about body temperature. <laughs> And the center is really together. We offer promotional rates as well for group leaders who want to bring class down for maybe biological field experiences or yoga retreat, workshop leaders of any kind who would like to bring their, their, their group down. You can check that out on our website as well. Right. So we're just, just starting off. Basically, we've been building the place for five years. We just finished building the center pretty much where we have a few, uh, really good promotional rate for 2005 that we're offering. So if anyone's interested, they can check that out. All right. You mentioned also that there are uh, there are some ocean uh, uh, adventures as well, dolphins and whales, and that's uh, sort of uh, um, the cetacean wildlife there. Uh, that's that's another incredible topic that we could spend a lot of time talking about. But but again, uh, highly beneficial experiences with those uh, with those creatures if people can get involved with that. So. Oh, yeah, I mean, the ocean out here is just pristine life. We went out the other day on a boat and came across a pod of well over two to 300 dolphins. It is phenomenal. There's fin whales, humpback whales, orcas come through now, all kinds of dolphins. And from the Cunwell Island out, there's actually blue whales, sperm whales even. Wow. They're really rare to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is one of the places where the whales from the, the northern population of humpback whales migrate all the way down to the Yosa Peninsula and the Gulf of Dulce. And the southern population of humpback whales migrates to the north. And this is like an inter, you know, basically a genetic breeding, breeding ground. Right. So they, they, they mate here and they, they rear their cubs in the waters right here off the Yosa Peninsula. Incredible. So oftentimes they're seen with their cubs. Wow. Is there, a, is, there, is there a reef there, Jonathan? Is there diving and stuff going on there as well? Yeah, yeah, there is out on Kanyo Island. You can see it right here from where I'm standing. It's a 45 minute boat ride. It has some world class scuba diving. Uh, I have a, a dive license too, so sometimes I join friends or people want to go diving and go with them. And there's a few professional dive outfitters here too, as well. And, and we saw a school of well over whew, five to 500 or more barracuda, <laughs> giant dog snappers, all kinds of monterey, white tip sensors. Extremely rich ocean life. 
Yeah, well, it sounds like uh, like uh, like that part of the world is uh, is about as biodiverse as uh, as as exists right now. So uh, so uh, you picked a sound like you picked a wonderful place uh, to locate Guaria de Osa, and uh, and I sure wish yeah, you. Yeah, we very fortunate. Like I was mentioning too, you know, being in the balance point between North and South America, close to both oceans, we really feel like it's an auspicious place, and just the sense of the way it's designed in and of itself. Anyone that looks at our website will see the photos. Is really a place to bring together the knowledge, the, the, the time-tested aspects of the spiritual and cultural heritage of the Americas and of Asia, where we can bring this together with different cultural teachers and masters and share it with our visiting guests al- all alongside the ocean and rainforest discovery and adventure that can take place too. Mm-hmm. So we feel that we're, you know, we have a unique. There uh, are setting situation going on. Most of the hotels in the area dedicate themselves pretty much to basically ecotourism and visiting the ocean, visiting the forest. But we have this cultural element, and just the way the center has been set up and built too is really creates a place where people can come together, be together, but also retreat to have their individual privacy in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. And it really, is pretty. You're more than welcome, Mike, to come down any time when you have the time to come. Visit and get away. Bring your son with you. Yeah, well, I'm going. To, I'm going to do it. You mark my words. I will be down there. I don't know when. I'm going to try to. Um, I'm actually. I'm actually going to try uh, for the February. Um, for the February event. I don't know if I can pull it off. Your mother's been all over oh, yeah? me trying to talk me into doing it. Um, but it's more of a personal thing uh, with my with my wife's uh, schedule. But um, if not, then I'm sure there'll be more uh, coming up in the future, and we're definitely going to yeah. make, make it down there. Hey, um, Jonathan, let's. Uh, we, we didn't talk. Uh, uh, too much yet about uh, politics and what's going. What's the political climate like down there right now? What uh, What's happening on, on a political level and at more of a you know more of the uh, administrational level? What's the response to the things that you guys are doing? Are they are are the are the indigenous peoples um, getting any traction or or are they still really really in deep deep trouble? Well, you know, basically, uh, when it comes to indigenous peoples, their work has been in Ecuador. Guadalajara de Osa is in Costa Rica. Right. Costa Rica has a whole different policy than Ecuador. In Costa Rica, it's a very small indigenous population, about 3%. And they're doing really good here. They got land. They get help from the government. But they've, they've also, you know, basically several generations removed from the, from the heart of their culture. Okay. In Ecuador, indigenous people, they, you know, they have t- uh, title to, to territories and to reinforced territories, but... The problem in Ecuador is the oil companies, basically, like the Wawarani, for example, <clears throat> a primitive indigenous tribe, you know, dealing with like not one, two, three, but like ten multinational oil companies building roads up left and right their territory, giving them whatever they want, from watches to hats to clothes to sacks of rice to everything, machetes, whatever they want. The Wawarani's are like the, mo- are the most gifted, probably, society on earth. I think they probably receive more gifts. Than anyone else, they're being exterminated. They're being culturally annihilated through gift giving. Right. It's like and a drug. It's really it's sad, they, yeah, and um, you know, the, 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 also the other thing is now that the colonization has grown more and more. Colonists, the colonial mentality is just infiltrating everywhere. So the youth, they don't have the courage to uh, really learn about their culture, live their culture anymore. And I mean, to become a shaman, these elder shamans. They've had to go through extreme discipline. No one wants to do that anymore. Not as a doctor. They can just go out to town to get an injection. So, you know, the, the time of these, like, ancestral cultures is basically, unfortunately, really sadly leaving us. 
But there's many aspects of that that, that that can help us a lot. And, you know, a lot of these are written in books and can be found in books, Master Nee's books and different texts. But the indigenous peoples in Ecuador, you know, they're not going through the best of times. And, uh, but, you know, I think they're a lot better off in Ecuador than other parts of the world. At least the government has gone out and given them territory. They've got a lot of land. But, you know, now with the dollarization, basically, the country's been dollarized in the year 2000. Jamil Mawad, he was, <laughs> he was thrown out of by a military coup. There was a coup. Um, this guy, Lucio Gutierrez, with a bunch of different indigenous uh, federations were overthrew the government. But it only lasted, like, uh, I think five days, and then the vice president took over. <clears throat> Now Lucio Gutierrez is actually the president of Ecuador, the same guy that did the military overthrow in year 2000. That happened on January 25th, year 2000. Wow. But um, Jamil Mawad dollarized the country, and it hasn't helped, I don't think, at all, because everything has just gone through the roof. Can it more money? There's been like two, 3,000% inflation. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I, just to put things in context, I used to organize these tours down to Ecuador. We still do once a year. And uh, the last year I did in 1999, in, Mar in March of 99, to rent a bus from Quito down to the end of the road in Posa Onda, way down in Ecuador and Amazon, and back round trip was $300. In September of 99, it was $900. And then in November of 99, I had to pay $1,800 for the same service. Oh, my God. This is one year. That was over one year. Right, right, right. Um, these properties that we're buying bordering Sangha National Park, the first one we bought in 1996, we paid $400 for 125 acres. Each property is about that size. Then the next one we bought, I think it was in 1998, we paid like 2000 And then just recently, we, well, I mean, it's still a pretty good deal relatively, but we just paid uh, $13,000 for a 150-acre property. Wow, so that definitely... So I mean, regardless of whether whether it's still a deal or not, it's still it's gone up uh, many fold. So yeah, we're talking two to three thousand percent inflation. Right, right. So but what, what in some regards, what it's done is it's, it's it's gotten the people to be like kind of hold on more to their traditions to their cultures, which is a lot of it has to do with agriculture and being self sufficient because people simply can't afford to buy anything anymore. So most you know the people in Ecuador, the country folks, the people in the city are the ones that are suffering hard because everything's going up more and more expensive and they they don't make any you know that much more money their 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 wages monthly wages are going up compared to the inflation but the indigenous people they're they're relying more on their agriculture and you know becoming in their self sufficiency right right they just go back to the old ways no problem yeah huh interesting here in Costa Rica Costa Rica is a really privileged country it's kind of like the New Zealand of of the Americas hmm. has no army. They've put a complete ban on, on oil operations. There, there, there's a, a social guarantee. The, this, this president, the actual president, Abel Pacheco, we have it on our website, Good News from Costa Rica, says <clears throat> he wrote this whole aspect and uh, amendment to the Constitution called environmental guarantees. They've banned logging, and they're, 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 they've been reforesting you know, old pastures with huge amounts of timber so they're growing timber and they're working really hard and opening the doors to tourism which brings you know all kinds of social change but at the same time at least an industry based on 
admiring nature and they're right, trying right. to do it as sustainable as possible. Right, and you got to be, I mean, that's the, it's the best, like you say, it's the best way to educate people. you got to get them out there, and uh, you got to get them to see this stuff. And, and, if, and if one out of every hundred of them goes back and says, man, I really changed my life, you, you did your job, you know, so. Mm-hmm, there you go, yep. Yeah. All right. Well, look, uh, Jonathan, I think we're going to wrap things up here, but uh, I want to say uh, thanks again. Uh, we've been talking to Jonathan Miller Weisberg, an ethnobotanist and the steward of uh, a retreat on the Pacific coast, the Osa Peninsula of Costa Rica, called Guaria de Osa, uh, what sounds like an absolute paradise. And um, for people who'd like more information on, uh, uh, on the retreat, you can go to www.guariadeosa.com, and I encourage everybody to go there and to, uh, and to get involved and to get interested in this sort of stuff because this is the cutting edge of where things need to be going. Uh, as Jonathan and I have been talking about and dancing around uh, this whole uh, time we've been talking, the, uh, the connection to the natural world, the relationship between human beings and the vegetable world, the plant kingdom, is, uh, is a relationship that must be reestablished and, and, and recognized if, uh, if we're going to move on uh, into, into a better future, in my opinion. And, and, and Jonathan and, and the folks uh, at Guaria de Osa are really doing a lot of work to help do that. So, so kudos uh, and my hat's off to you big time, Jonathan. And, uh, I appreciate it, Mike. Thank you so much. Yeah, and I can't say... Yeah, we've got this retreat coming up. February 1st to 9th with Jeremy Narby and David Abrams, the author of Spell of the Sensuous, and David, Jeremy Narby is the author of The Cosmic Serpent. We have, we have a traditional Quechua Indian elder, shaman master from Ecuador with us. His son and his son's wife actually work at Guadalajara de Osa with me, Don Bartolo Aguinda, just a really beautiful, classic, really humble old-timer, just really fun to be around. So we invite anyone interested to check out our website. That's from the 1st to the 9th of February. It's undoubtedly going to be a great event. And then we have all sorts of other events coming up after that, too. And Guadia, to remind you, means orchid. Orchid is a symbol of the freshness of nature. I really appreciate, Mike, uh, the opportunity to be able to share what some of the experiences we've had here with the public on behalf of your radio show. well, you're, you're more than welcome, Jonathan. And like I said uh, off the air, what I'd like to do, this, this was a good introduction to yourself and to what, uh, what you guys are trying to do down there. Hopefully we can, uh, we can continue to do this uh, on a regular basis every few months or whatever. We'll get you back on the air and we'll talk about uh, what's going on uh, down there and your progress and current events and all that sort of stuff. And um, uh, one, one of the, uh, it is a priority on my radio show to, to try to help uh, people keep uh, connecting with this stuff. So we're going to keep doing it. And and, um, and I'll also, uh, after I air this show, I'm not sure when we'll actually air this program. It'll probably be um, within two weeks. It might actually be on Christmas uh, Christmas night I might air this show. But uh, regardless, uh, as soon as I air it, within a day or two afterwards, I'll have it uploaded up onto the web. And uh, we can point uh, people there uh, from here to eternity, and they can listen to the interview with you and get information um, anytime they like. So, Great, great. We really appreciate it, Michael and uh... Also, I'll be thinking about more stuff, more specific stuff, too, we can, we can share with our concerned, interested public for, for the future talk shows that, that you've invited me to. Yeah, we'll do, we'll, 
We'll do, we'll do that. And uh, for the for the for the people that are listening, I want everyone to know this was a this was a total uh, sort of a seat of our pants of, uh, interview that we did here, Jonathan and I. This is the first time we've actually talked uh, because um, it's been a little bit. Uh, it, it's because of how isolated uh, Jonathan is down there. We've had to. Uh, I've been sort of communicating with him through his mom, who's in Berkeley, and uh, we've been uh, sort of uh, playing a little bit of tag here and there, and we were able to slip this interview in. So. Um, uh, considering that we we did it on real short notice, and Jonathan's sitting out there on the Pacific Ocean on a rock, and uh, uh, we uh, we didn't have a whole lot of time to plan. I think it actually went went wonderful, and we got a lot of uh, a lot of information. And the next time um, the next time we talk, we'll do uh, we'll, we'll 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 have a little bit uh, a little bit more to do. So uh, so I look forward right, to it, Jonathan. Well, the sun is finally set, and there's a moon that's waxing. It's a star-speckled night, and I'm sure anyone that comes down to visit our center will. Especially during the summer months between December and March, we'll never forget the environment here. It's truly superb. And once again, Mike, thanks a lot, and we'll be in touch then. Wonderful, Jonathan. All right, thanks. All right, uh, this is Mike Hagan. You've been listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN 89.5 FM. I hope you enjoyed the show tonight. Uh, stick around uh, for Carol Greenspan and Jewish Spectrum. Hopefully, she can make it in here. The Snow's fallen and the roads might be a little bit nasty. Carol, if you're coming in, hope you're being careful out there in the car. And um, uh, for everybody else, uh, tune in next week, same time, same place, 2 a.m. on Sunday morning for Radio Orbit. And uh, uh, we're going to have a great interview with Dr. Paul LaViolette. And uh, until then, have a great week. We'll leave you with a little bit of uh, music from the birds. Not the birds, the birds, but a song about the birds. This is R.E.M., KOPN Radio Orbit. Thanks for listening.
This is Radio Orbit, exploring the secrets of everything on KOPN 89.5 FM, Columbia. Good morning to you, wherever you might be. This is Mike Hagen. You're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN, 89.5 FM, Mid-Missouri source for in-depth news, diverse talk, and music of the world. It's more than radio. It's community radio. It's KOPN, your imagination station, and it's the home for Radio Orbit coming to you every morning on Sundays, uh, 2 a.m. to 5 a.m., 
every week, I should say, not every morning. I don't think I could handle this if I had to do it every morning. But once a week is just lovely. And uh, again, 2 to 5 a.m. every Sunday morning, Radio Orbit, coming to you live here on KOPN. And uh, my name is Mike, and I'll be with you till 5 o'clock this morning. It is uh, just a little after 2 in the morning on uh, the 23rd of January in the year 2005. And tonight we've got a great show lined up for you. I've got an interview that I'm going to be airing in a, about 45 minutes with Dr. Paul LaViolette. Dr. LaViolette is a Ph.D. astrophysicist um, with uh, some incredible ideas and theories and information to share with you guys. I did the interview about a month and a half ago, and I was waiting for the right time to air it. And uh, this weekend uh, is the perfect time to air this interview um, for a number of reasons. Uh, but uh, we'll get to those coming up here. So anyway, coming up in just a little while, Dr. Paul LaViolette, uh, an amazing astrophysicist who I've been speaking to for the last few months and uh, whose material I've been familiar with for about the last five years or so, and he's an amazing guy. So uh, so get ready for that. That's coming up in just a little while. Thanks to Gail for setting things up nicely, as she always does on Heart and Soul, playing some lovely rhythm and blues music, as she does every week, and uh, try to stay warm out there, Gail, going home. It's pretty chilly out there this morning, and uh, it was incredible, actually. I was driving in, and uh, I always have these interesting stories when I'm on my way into the station <clears throat> in the middle of the night on Saturday, and tonight, of course, it's really cold outside, but uh, it's really clear as well, and there's incredible... Uh, stargazing opportunities tonight out there because it's so cold and so clear. But anyway, I came out of my house this morning and took out my two little puppies that we got last weekend and let them pee outside so they don't pee in my house for the 50,000th time in the last week. Anyway, as I was standing outside in the freezing cold with my dogs, a shooting star just blazed right over my head uh, from the north uh, into the direction of the south and it was really bright and it probably burned for about a second and a half and uh, I thought wow how cool that was so anyway a magical night out there tonight even though it's cold there's also some really neat things going on so uh, keep that in mind when you're bundling up and putting your scarf on and your gloves on and your mittens up uh, make sure you turn your eyes up as opposed to turning them down when you walk outside it's amazing how many things you'll actually see if you actually look up. We have a tendency to keep our focus forward and down for the most part, but uh, uh, always nice sometimes to look up as well. Okay, uh, let's get things going here. Thanks for all the emails. I appreciate it. Uh, hello in particular to Deborah. I appreciate all the things that you send me, Deborah, and uh, read every word. And I agree with much of what you say. And I think the work that you're doing with the children is awesome. And uh, that's where it's at. And uh, I hope some of the kids are listening to this program as well because um, hopefully they'll see that it's a little bit different than uh, some of the other things that are going on out there. But anyway, I uh, hope they listen to this program. Tell them to, all right, Deborah? And uh, you keep listening as well. Thanks a lot to everybody else out there who sent the nice emails and uh, who calls in and uh, pays attention and actually keeps me me motivated to come up here every week and do this again on the following weekend. <clears throat> so uh, that's where we are. Thanks as well to everybody listening over the web. Uh, we're working on some 
some technology that will hopefully uh, make the availability of this show even greater than it is right now. I'm looking into some of the new ideas such as podcasting, and I'm talking to a new uh, to a friend of mine who is a uh, technological capability outstretches mine by quite a quite a margin and uh, anyway he's talking to me about helping me out with the website and doing some archive things with me that might make it more uh, a little bit more simple and uh, and increase the level of quality of the archived programs as well so I'm working on all that stuff and uh, bear with me uh, for now it's what it is uh, you can check things out at www.radioorbit.com that's R-A-D-I-O-R-B-I-T dot com, radioorbit.com. And uh, you can also send me email if you have questions or comments or concerns or uh, ideas for future programs or anything like that. You can always send me email at orbitradio, O-R-B-I-T-R-A-D-I-O, at AOL.com. That's orbitradio at AOL.com. And you can always go to the website, radioorbit.com, and uh, contact me from there. Uh, let's see, what else here? In the station, in the studio, the number here, area code 573-874-5676. That's 573-874-5676. And uh, 1-800 number, if you are outside of the 573 area code, is 800-895-5676. 5676 that's 895 KOPN all right so uh uh with that in mind uh write those phone numbers down by the way too uh actually you may not want to write them down after you hear what I'm going to tell you but uh write them down anyway this is sort of the unofficial kickoff of the pledge drive uh KOPN's winter pledge drive we're actually calling it the we couldn't do it without you Pledge Drive, because that's actually true. Uh, we can't do anything without the listeners here at KOPN. All of the programming that you hear on this station is brought to you by and supported by the listeners out there in the mid-Missouri community. And uh, although Pledge Drive actually starts Sunday morning, uh, actually I take that back, Monday morning, tomorrow morning, I thought that I would uh, try to start things off on a good note um, because I have I actually have an interview tonight that I'm going to be uh, playing that was recorded a while back the phone I'll actually be able to answer the phones uh, during that interview so if people are interested in calling and uh, pledging a little bit of your hard-earned money to help keep radio orbit on the air and help keep KOPN strong and uh, and growing well that would certainly be appreciated I'll be doing it uh, this week asking you f- for your help and for your support and I'll also be doing it next week. Uh, but next week I actually have a live program that's going to be, uh, uh, I'm talking to Nick Cook, the former aerospace editor at Jane's Defense Weekly from London, and that will be a live show, and I'll have him on the air uh, from London. And because I'm here by myself in the studio on Saturday nights and Sunday mornings, it will be a little bit more difficult for me to answer the telephone with all the hundreds of calls, all the all the uh, the plethora of listeners that want to call in and donate their money to this radio program. So anyway, if you find it in your heart and in your wallet to uh, help me out and help Radio Orbit stay on the air, 
uh, that would be much appreciated. And you can call me any time tonight, and I'd be glad to take your pl- uh, take your pledge. And uh, there's lots of uh, cool stuff that you can get back from the station and uh, from me, from this show in particular. I have some special things that uh, that I'll be giving away to uh, to listeners who who help support my show. So that number is five seven three eight seven four five six seven six and one eight hundred eight nine five five six seven six for those of you out there who would like to pledge your support for KLPN and for Radio Orbit. So uh, I'll probably be mentioning uh, mentioning that a few more times as the show goes on tonight. Okay. All right. Thanks very much. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, tonight's guest, Dr. Paul Laviolette, like I said, the PhD astrophysicist, a total freaking genius. And uh, with some incredibly amazing, interesting things to tell you about uh, the solar system and the galaxy in which you live. So we'll come back with Paul in just a little while. It's actually kind of a long interview. It went longer than we had originally anticipated because, uh, well, we just kind of got going. So I'm going to have to start it a little bit earlier than I normally would, um, which means we kind of got to squeeze everything else in here, too. We'll do space weather in just a moment, which is... uh, kind of what we're going to devote the whole show to tonight uh, because of what uh, Dr. LaViolette uh, and I talked about and because of all the recent uh, activity in the skies above our head. We're going to be talking primarily uh, in this first hour about space weather and uh, solar activity and the events on the sun over the last week. And um, we'll do that in just a minute here. Uh, Let me run through some upcoming guests real fast. I did the email address and the uh, and the website. As I said, next week, Nick Cook, former aerospace editor for Jane's Defense Weekly, talking to me about anti-gravity technology and the incredible book, The Hunt for Zero Point, that Nick wrote a couple of years ago, uh, and I just finished reading, uh, fi- finished reading, and it's an amazing account of the uh, pre-World War II and post-World War II covert black operations research projects into sophisticated and advanced propulsion techniques, including the manipulation of gravity through its relationship with electricity. So anyway, incredible stuff we'll be talking to Nick Cook about next week. And in fact, Dr. LaViolette and I covered a little bit of this stuff in his uh, interview that you're going to be hearing tonight. In fact, Dr. LaViolette was a major contributor to some of the work that Nick Cook did in his book. And, uh, in fact, one of the, um, uh, at the beginning of The Hunt for Zero Point, Mr. Cook thanks a number of people who were uh, relevant in helping him complete the book. And uh, Dr. LaViolette is one of the people right at the top of that list. So these interviews uh, this week and next week uh, kind of dovetail together pretty well. Okay, so that's uh, coming up next week. Nick Cook, we've got Rupert Sheldrake coming up. Uh, Cheryl Clapton. Um, Cheryl is a singer, songwriter, musician, guitarist, artist, mystic, incredible woman who lives here in the Columbia area. And uh, Cheryl and I will be talking on the air, maybe playing some music as well <clears throat> in a few weeks. And uh, it'll be a little bit of a departure for me, but uh, uh, we have a lot in common, Cheryl and I, and it'll probably be a fun conversation with some great music mixed in. So I hope that you tune in for that when we uh, when we do that program in just a few weeks, maybe in March, actually, because I think March is Women's History Month. So we'll try to have some, some female guests on the program next month, Cheryl Clapton being one of those. 
uh, Richard K. Moore. I was supposed to talk to Richard sometime in January, although January got pretty booked up, but we'll do him in the next month or two. And uh, Michael Heisen, Dr. Michael Heisen, coming up again. Um, I'm probably going to do a solo show one of these uh, weekends. Probably not next weekend, but maybe the following one. I have to do a show by myself because, as I said last week, and this week is no different, there's so much going on right now that uh, over the week as I'm collecting information and collecting stories, uh, that I'd like to share with you during the program every Sunday morning. Uh, for the last three weeks, four weeks, I've had so much material that I'm literally sitting there going, well, what am I going to talk about? Because I want to talk about this and I want to talk about that, um, but I only have time for this and that. And there's literally so much going on that I want to share with you guys. Um, but uh, unfortunately, I haven't had a chance to get to a lot of it because of interviews and um, uh, current events that are taking precedence over that stuff. So in a couple of weeks, I'll do that, and I'll try to clear my clear my slate and cover some of these topics that I haven't been able to get to over the over the last few weeks. And uh, we'll do a full show with just sort of news and information in a couple of weeks. And uh, I also have um, well, just have lots of other people lined up. One guy in particular I haven't heard back from, but uh, Dr. Ralph Abraham, a uh, uh, a mathematician and a brilliant scientist uh, who's worked in chaos and chaos theory has literally changed the whole face of mathematics uh, mathematics itself uh, over the last 15 to 20 years in my opinion and hopefully uh, Dr. Abraham who was an associate and friend of Rupert Sheldrake and Terence McKenna before Terence died um, uh, hopefully he will find the time and uh, the heart to spend some time with me and with you guys on this program. So that's coming up, all right? Uh, like I said, Pledge Drive tonight and next week. Anything that you can uh, um, find in your heart and in your wallet, in your pocketbook to uh, donate to KOPN and to Radio Orbit, I'd be appreciative of that. You can call at 573-874-5676 or 1-800-895-5676 to do that. Uh, to help support this program and help support community radio. And by the way, uh, the guests and the subject matter that comes up and is covered on this program, I can pretty confidently say that nobody else in the mid-Missouri region is doing what we're doing here on Radio Orbit. And I hope that the few of you out there uh, who listen to the program realize that it really is um, a unique and different means of information transfer and I hope you understand that I do it for you guys as well as I do it for me um, and I just hope you'll take that into account when you when you think about uh, uh, about possibly uh, using some of your own money your own dollars uh, to help keep this program on the air all right we'll be back in just a minute we'll do space weather and uh, Get the program rolling, okay? In the meantime, this is Toad the Wet Sprocket. Like I said before, uh, when I was coming in, I saw this incredible shooting star, one of the first things I saw when I woke up this evening. So uh, with that in mind, this is Fly from Heaven, Toad the Wet Sprocket from Dulcinea on KOPN's Radio Orbit. Thank you. 
This is Radio Orbit, exploring the secrets of everything on KOPN 89.5 FM, Columbia. to you or good morning to you or good day to you if you may be listening over the web ex post facto so to speak this is Mike Hagan and you're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN 89.5 FM mid-Missouri source for in-depth news diverse talk music of the world it's more than radio it's community sponsored listener supported imagination creation radio KOPN 89.5 FM serving Columbia and uh, lots of other areas around mid-Missouri. My name is Mike Hagan. I'm your host every week. 
for three hours on Monday nights from 11 p.m. until 2 o'clock in the morning. And we do this show called Radio Orbit. This is the second week that we've been doing the program on Monday nights. The show was uh, in a uh, sort of a middle-of-the-night slot on Saturday nights, early Sunday morning for about nine months from 2 o'clock until 5 o'clock in the morning. So uh, there are a lot of new people uh, that are up and about at uh, this time of the evening on Mondays that maybe uh, didn't have a chance to hear the program when it was on on Saturday. So uh, we sort of went through uh, what we do on the show last week. I'm not going to go through it again, um, but uh, you'll just get a feel for it as we get going here. But uh, got a pretty cool program lined up tonight. Uh, I'll be uh, uh, airing an interview uh, in about 55 minutes with a gentleman whose name is Dr. Rick Strassman. Dr. Strassman is the author of a book that's entitled DMT, The Spirit Molecule. Uh, DMT is the abbreviation for the chemical compound dimethyltryptamine. And the dimethyltryptamine is a very interesting compound, to say the least. And I won't go into any detail right now, but uh, you can check that out coming up in about uh, 45 or 50 minutes or so. We'll do, uh, um, uh, we've got about uh, uh, two hours uh, that we'll be spending with, with Dr. Rick Strassman. So uh, that's coming up in just a little while. Uh, big, uh, a quick thank you to Debbie, uh, Debbie Johnson with Free Range Radio Theater. Another great addition tonight. A couple of pretty poignant episodes that are sort of relevant to recent and uh, current events. I hope that uh, some of you out there who are listening to Debbie's program stick around and listen to Radio Orbit. I think our programs go pretty well together, especially tonight. And uh, so uh, give this uh, give this show a shot. Stick around for a few minutes and uh, see if it's worth listening to, okay? All right, uh, what else is going on? Another big quake today. Another big quake today. Holy cow. In, uh, again, in the Indian Ocean, um, uh, north uh, northwest of Sumatra. And uh, this quake was... Um, nearly as big as the one that uh, created the tsunami that uh, left so much uh, devastation and difficulty uh, in its wake uh, back at the end of December. This was a, they keep upgrading this one. This was originally, up, uh, was originally reported as an 8.2, then it went up to an 8.5, and it's currently being re uh, reported as an 8.7 on the Richter scale. Now, uh, interestingly, there was not a uh, tsunami associated with this particular quake, luckily. And uh, it was uh, uh, centered, again, at sea. It was not centered underneath the land. So uh, even though there was a significant loss of life, and I'm sure it's ongoing, the reports, uh, the reports of these things always uh, start out slow and then build. If you remember the, uh, uh, the earthquake and tsunami that happened in December, uh, I think that the original reports were, oh, there were 500 people dead or something. Of course, now the odds are it's probably approaching a million. And um, anyway, very significant uh, geothermic uh, activity and lots of uh, volcanism and earthquake activity and uh, things really, really profoundly happening in the last uh, in the last six months. You know, these these 8.0 plus earthquakes. There have only been 16 of them in the last 10 years, and uh, four of them now in the last six months. So, uh, you know, uh, that's uh, quite a few uh, standard deviations off of uh, off of the norm. And for scientists and 
uh, volcanologists and people that watch this sort of thing, that makes them go, hmm, oh boy. Now, another thing sort of interesting about this quake, and, and I'll, I'll remind everybody, uh, if, you, uh, if you're interested in all this, the best place, in my opinion, to go follow this stuff is over at Kent Stedman's site, www.cyberspaceorbit.com. He covers uh, all of this stuff really thoroughly uh, from lots of different perspectives. And uh, if you go there right now at the top of his page, he's updating hourly, and he's probably... Uh, the bleeding edge on this one. So if you're interested in following this stuff uh, in sort of real time, go over to Kent's website, www.cyberspaceorbit.com. You can always link there from my site as well at www.radioorbit.com. All right, uh, this, there was something that I wanted to mention, though, I found uh, a little bit interesting, sort of an odd pattern. Uh, if you remember that uh, the tsunami and or the earthquake and resulting tsunami that happened um, in December happened on December 26th. That was the day after Christmas. Uh, now, um, March uh, on the 28th of March, one day after Easter, we have uh, another quake. And uh, there's one other... So uh, anyway, it's sort of an interesting coincidence. And of course, I don't believe in coincidence. So... Uh, who knows? Uh, also, if you remember, uh, we found out in January that there was a gamma ray burst that was uh, associated in the same time frame as the earthquake and tsunami. And again, uh, today, the BAT, the what uh, what we call the BAT, B-A-T, it stands for Burst Alert Telescope. And uh, this is a scope that is uh, orbiting the planet and looking for uh, gamma-ray bursts and galactic core explosions and this sort of thing out there in in uh, in deep space. And again, uh, yesterday, a gamma-ray burst uh, detected. And these are not uh, common occurrences. So we have two big-time earthquakes, uh, and we had and the, and the one that happened actually the precursor to the December quake, quake that happened like on December, oh, it happened a couple of weeks before, I want to say around December 10th or so, there was a gamma ray burst uh, that was uh, in the same time frame as that one as well. So that's something that's really interesting. And if, if, you, uh, if, you, if you're new to the program or this information and you think, what the hell is he talking about, gamma ray burst and all that, go uh, onto my website and go to the archives and uh, page down until you find an interview that I did with Dr. Paul Laviolette. Uh, Dr. Laviolette is a Ph.D. astrophysicist, and uh, uh, one of his, um, in fact, the, uh, uh, his thesis that he received his Ph.D. for um, uh, involved a theory that, uh, uh, that is wrapped around this idea of gamma ray bursts and galactic, uh, galactic core explosions. So uh, it's a little bit uh, intense, but uh, it's really relevant, uh, perhaps. So it's something you might want to check out. All right, so um, coming up, we've got uh, Dr. Rick Strassman. And uh, that's going to be a great uh, uh, bunch of information that's coming out to everybody. I, he hasn't been interviewed, uh, um, certainly not uh, at length. He may have had... Uh, Ten minutes here or five minutes there on uh, uh, some other programs, but uh, he hasn't had the chance to uh, to really lay it out like you guys are going to hear tonight. So stick around. That's coming up. Um, space weather coming up in just a few minutes. But uh, let me give out contact information real fast. Hello to everybody listening locally. Um, any new listeners, I appreciate it. 
once we get this interview going, you can give me a call at uh, 573-874-5676. Let me know what you think. Uh, let's see what else here. Um, if you're listening over the web, of course, uh, all these programs are archived on the web. You can't hear it live yet. We're not streaming yet, but we're working on that. And uh, in the meantime, you can hear all this stuff uh, ex post facto uh, over the web if you go to my archives page. Okay, so thanks for all the emails that you guys always send, and um, uh, I appreciate it. Okay, to continue that, uh, if you ever have anything you'd like to uh, talk to me about, to send me. Uh, questions, comments, concerns, ideas for programs. If you want to tell me that uh, uh, the show's no good or that you like it, whatever, uh, you can do that at orbitradio at aol.com. O r b i t r a d i o at aol.com. That's orbitradio at aol.com. And you can also always go to the website www.radioorbit.com. R a d i o r b i t dot com. And the phone number here at the station, like I said, is 874-5676. Or if you're outside of the 573 area code, it's 1-800-895-5676, 1-800-895-KOPN. All right, uh, somebody is uh, calling me on the phone here, so I'm going to play a tune real fast, and then uh, we'll get back and do space weather in a minute. In the meantime, this is Chris Cornell from Euphoria Morning. This is called Moonchild. This is Mike Hagen. You're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN. We'll be back in a few minutes.
it's Chris Cornell from Euphoria Morning. That's called Moonchild. All right, this is Mike Hagan. You're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN. A couple things real fast here. Uh, we got Rick Strassman coming up in just a few minutes. In the meantime, let me tell you a quick thing about some guests that are coming up. Uh, last week, uh, of course, was the inaugural Monday night show here, and I uh, appreciate everybody that was listening and that called in and sent me emails. Uh, next week, uh, tribute to Terrence McKenna. Uh, again, if you've listened to the program before, you know that uh, Terrence was a big influence on me, and he died uh, just about five years ago next Monday. Actually, he died on the 3rd of April in the year 2000 and it'll be the 4th of April next Monday so I'm going to do a little tribute to Terrence next week I'm not sure exactly what I'm going to do but it'll be cool and I'm sure that uh, if you appreciate this interview tonight you'll probably uh, appreciate the show next week as well alright the following week after that will be Richard K. Moore uh, Richard, this, this is going to be sort of a departure for me Richard K. Moore is sort of a social commentarian an historian and uh, has a lot to say about geopolitical events. And I, for the most part, stick away from uh, or, or try to stay away from uh, the political arena for the most part. Um, but uh, with RKM, I just had to do it. And uh, we'll just have to see what happens. But it's certainly going to ruffle some feathers when I talk to Richard K. Moore. Uh, he's in, um, in Ireland. That'll be a live show uh, live from Ireland. And I think he's in... I'm not sure if he's in Dublin uh, or where exactly he's at. I'll find obviously I'll find out before we do the show. But uh, um, there's uh, probably a reason why he's living there and not here. <laughs> Let's just leave it at that. And that should be a pretty interesting program. And hopefully I don't uh, uh, get uh, in any trouble by guilt by association or anything like that. So at any rate, Richard K. Moore coming up in a couple weeks. After that, uh, Dr. Terry Grossman. Uh, Dr. Grossman has written a book with. Ray Kurzweil. Some people may be familiar with Ray Kurzweil. He's an incredible scientist and a futurist and an inventor. And uh, um, the two of them wrote a book together called Fantastic Voyage, Living Long Enough to Live Forever. And this book is astounding uh, because one of the things that they delve deeply into are new technologies that are becoming available very, very quickly uh, that are uh, potentially... Uh, have the ability to obsolete illness and disability as we know it. And I mean that in a general sense. Uh, they're really talking about some, uh, some outrageous stuff here uh, that involves nanotechnology and some other things. But the book basically says, uh, live long enough to live forever. And they're saying you don't have to live a whole lot longer uh, before uh, some real amazing things are going to become possible. So anyway, Dr. Terry Grossman, that's coming up in a few weeks. Uh, Dr. Michael Heisen, my buddy out in uh, Hawaii, who's a marine biologist and works with dolphins and whales. Stephen Buner, The Lost Language of Plants, uh, The Secret Teachings of Plants, an incredible ethnobotanist uh, who I have been fortunate enough to get to know and become friends with. Uh, he'll be on the air here in a few weeks. Uh, John Lash, a gentleman who uh, studies Gnostic texts and early Christian uh, writings and reads fluent Coptic and it's a very interesting guy talks about Gnosticism and the Archons and alchemy and the relationship between shamanism and all these things and a real interesting guy and man do I have a story to tell you guys about John Lash you're not going to believe it I'm going to I'll tell you at the end of the hour here it sort of sets up uh, uh, the interview coming up but I have a couple of stories of amazing synchronicity that have happened in the last week and uh, I'm going to mention those uh, 
at the end of the hour here, okay? Okay, let's do space weather real fast. And um, not a whole lot to mention, although there is a lovely sort of waning uh, full moon rising in the east. I don't know if you have a chance to look out your windows or step outside, but uh, just a beautiful, big, orange, not quite full. It was full just a few days ago, but uh, a beautiful moon nonetheless rising this evening in the east. So you can go outside and take a look at that right now and take a deep breath and uh, just chill out and appreciate it for what it is, all right? Not a whole lot else going on. You know, we talk about the sun quite a bit on this program, and it's interesting when I do space weather, uh, for people who haven't listened to the program for a long time, we haven't had a lot to talk about in the last few weeks, and these things are really sort of cyclical. It's interesting because when it gets interesting, it's really interesting. Uh, and then when it gets quiet, it just sort of stays uh, quiet for a little while. And for the last three weeks or so, there's been very little activity on the sun, uh, no significant flare activity or... Uh, Oh, no uh, coronal mass ejections or no big coronal holes speeding up the solar wind or anything real uh, interesting happening. So uh, that's kind of good, though, I guess. It's just old soul just burning away up there, keeping the planet warm and warming things up. As springtime rolls around here, you'll notice that it's starting to get uh, starting to get light out a little bit earlier in the morning and uh, staying lighter for a longer time in the evening. Of course, that happens ever since the 21st of March. We start having these longer days after the equinox, and that'll peak on the 21st of June or thereabouts uh, on the summer solstice. And uh, cool stuff. All right. Uh, there is one thing that I'd like to mention, though, that I saw the other day. There's a thing that's called a sun pillar, and you may have seen this, and I thought I'd mention it uh, just because it's kind of interesting. Every once in a while when you get sort of like ice um, crystals uh, that are, that are uh, suspended in the atmosphere, depending on where they are in position to the rising or the setting sun, if they're in the right position above or below the sun, you can get this uh, sort of uh, uh, reflective imagery effect that they call a sun pillar or a sun column. And uh, I actually saw that uh, a couple of times in the last few weeks. And in the springtime and in the fall, you get a little bit more of that because you get these uh, uh, these mornings and evenings where we get a lot of ice crystals that uh, that form in the right part of the atmosphere uh, to allow this effect. So if you see that, uh, uh, there you go. There's another bit of valuable information, and now you'll know exactly what you're looking at next time the sun throws out a sword of light either above or below it. Now, if it's going up uh, from the horizon toward the sun or from the sun down toward the horizon, then that's because the ice crystals are above, uh, relatively speaking, above your plane, above your field of vision. And if, if, the, uh, if the pillar goes upward from the sun up towards the sky, uh, it'll be the opposite effect. Those crystals in the atmosphere will be below, relatively speaking, your position to the sun. So, um, All right, so that's what sun pillars are. And uh, one last thing, potentially hazardous asteroids. You know, we talk about uh, near-Earth asteroids, near-Earth ob objects, potentially hazardous objects that might have a chance to impact our planet or come close and affect the gravitational pull of the Earth and the Moon and uh, change the dynamics between all of these bodies, which really do have sort of a precarious balance uh, and equilibrium that they, uh, that they exhibit. You know, it's... It really is a wonderful, uh, uh, a wonderful system uh, 
when you look at it. The whole thing, you know, you have these wheels within wheels revolving around one another. And every once in a while, though, you'll get a cosmic interloper of sorts that comes in and really shakes up the apple cart and throws things into disequilibrium and makes things sort of chaotic for a while. And sometimes that's not all bad. You know, we have this idea that chaos is bad, but you know, historically chaos was never considered bad. It was just considered sort of chaos. But we tend to put this idea that chaos is bad and uh, we have to keep chaos at bay and keep, keep chaos away and we have to have control and control and control. Well, when you see things like these earthquakes and uh, other uh, events of the natural world, when Mother Nature bears her teeth, so to speak, the, uh, the control freaks shudder <laughs> because that's when, the, that's when the curtain is pulled back and we see who's really in charge of the show. So uh, keep that in mind uh, when you're looking around the world and when you're looking up at the sky and up at the stars and up at the sun and at the guy next to you on the bus. All right. Uh, but uh, potentially hazardous asteroids, it's interesting because I always look at these things and they have a list that they update regularly. And interestingly enough, uh, last week there are two items on the there are two items on the list from last week or that dated last week, March eighteenth and March nineteenth. Uh, and they're on my list today. Interestingly enough, they were not on the list last week. <laughs> so what does that tell you? That tells you that they didn't know about them. And they went by us, and they spotted us, or they spotted them as they went by, and then they added them to the list this week uh, in uh, sort of a, a backward reference, posthumously, so to speak. Now, next year or the next time they orbit, they'll know where they are. Um, but as I say... Uh, all the time, the ones uh, that we don't know about are the ones that are probably more concerning than the ones that we do know about. And uh, all the time, there are ones that are whizzing by us. Uh, these two uh, that went by on March 18th and March 19th, one of them was only a half a lunar distance away from the planet. Do you realize what that means? That's inside the orbit of the moon. The moon is 250,000 miles away from the Earth, plus or minus. This uh, asteroid 2005FN on March 18th passed 0.4 lunar distances from our planet, which means four-tenths of the distance between the Earth and the Moon. So uh, that's about 100,000 miles. Now, we have airplanes. We have uh, uh, spy planes and all kinds of uh, uh, craft that are up... Um, at these uh, at these levels, you know, we've got all kinds of satellites. We've got all kinds of uh, uh, classified platforms up there, and uh, you know, the SOHO satellite is a million miles out. So these things are coming real close. This thing came really, really close, relatively speaking, and uh, it was one that before it came by, nobody knew about it because it came by last week and it wasn't on my list. And if it wasn't on my list. Well, they may have known about it, but they certainly weren't telling us about it. So, anyway, we'll keep an eye on that stuff. Keep your eye on the skies. And if you see a big rock uh, bearing down on us, you know, just uh, have a cocktail and kiss your lady and enjoy the rest of the evening. 
All right, we'll be back in a few minutes. This is Mike Hagan. You're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN, and uh, this is Soul Coughing. Speaking of this, uh, I, I chose this song. It's called Black uh, Unmarked Helicopters. And I should mention real fast, uh, there's some weird, weird stuff going on in India. And I've mentioned it before, but the India Daily, which is the second largest newspaper in the country, a country of 1.2 billion people, they have been writing openly now for months about uh, contact with extraterrestrials. And... Uh, they're writing about it every day in the paper. And I'm going to read uh, a couple clips uh, from the India Daily, uh, maybe after this song. All right, back in a minute. This is uh, Soul Coughing, Unmarked Helicopters on Radio Orbit, KOPN.
All right, that was Soul Coughing and uh, from uh, Songs in the Key of X. And uh, for all of you out there, pray to the compact disc gods that we don't have a bunch of skipping going on. We've been having a little bit of technical difficulty for the last week or so with both of our CD players. And some people have had better luck than others. Uh, and uh, let's hope that... Uh, we do okay tonight. That one was sort of sketchy. Made it through, but uh, if you were listening close, you were probably like, hmm, was that supposed to be there? I don't think so. Anyway, all right, this is Mike Hagen. You're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN 89.5 FM. And uh, I wanted to mention real fast the stuff that's going down in India. Uh, let's see. Here's one story that I'll re- read real fast. I could pick from a bunch of them. This is, just, this is from today, though. Uh, this one says... Uh, oceanographers and naval engineers, and again, this is from the India Daily. All right, this is from, if not the largest, I, the, the the India Times and the India Daily. Between the two of them, they're both sort of uh, rivals, but they're they're both big giant newspapers. They're the two largest newspapers in India. So this is from the India Daily. Today, oceanographers and naval engineers are investigating certain phenomena that show evidence of the presence of extraterrestrial deep underwater craft the floating version of UFOs. These craft are capable of sharp and efficient maneuvering underwater, have the implacable stealth to avoid detection, can hover in the deepest parts of the oceans, and are capable of going deep into the tectonic plate levels under the ocean. Now, we've had some big earthquakes in the Indian Ocean in the last few months. Just to add that as an aside. Uh, The scientists and engineers are finding solid evidence that these craft are present in many numbers 